Blackula is back. All new. All powerful. <laughs> Blackula, the Black Prince of Shadows, rises from his grave to stalk the earth again in the all new motion picture chilla. Scream, Blackula, scream. <laughs> Blackula returns, quenching his thirst for blood in a death trap for his enemies. Blackula, more horrifying than Dracula, screaming for revenge against a voodoo cult of evil. See Scream, Blackula, Scream, all new, rated PG, starring William Marshall, Don Mitchell, and Pam Greer, the sensuous godmother of coffee. You were terrified at Blackula. Now the Prince of Shadows returns in Scream, Blackula, Scream. Rockin' and rollin'. Uh, one, two. Yes, we're back. Three, four, four. Better lock that door. <laughs> Five, six. Go get some fiddle or candlesticks. Get a crucifix. There you go. Seven, eight. Don't be late. Don't. Uh, Nine, ten. Freddy's gonna get you again, is it? One, two. Freddy's coming for you. Three, four. Better lock the door. Five, Five six, six. Get a crucifix. Six, seven, seven eight. eight. Better stay up late. Better stay up late. <laughs> Nine, Nine ten. ten. Freddy got you again. <laughs> oh, he got you by then. Freddy got you by then. Ten. Never all. go to sleep again. Never go to sleep again. Ah, uh, that's our <laughs> single. <laughs> that's our single. That's our at the end of the at the end of the movie the rap the rap song the early '90s rap song. <laughs> My glasses are riding oh. up on me here. Uh, already. It's a late night, ladies and gentlemen. We pu- we pulled an audible. We realized because of our busy schedule that we needed to get together as soon as possible. So we f- we 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 ran together. So and we've we been together. We've been together watching movies for three days straight. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, we haven't we haven't showered or done anything. It's, it's really uncomfortable. And it's get uh, late. We need to get Last it all done call. because we needed to. We needed to get everything done. We had a we had a uh, we we imposed a uh, a schedule on us a schedule. And now we have to commit to that schedule, no matter what kind of mental exhaustion it does, or uh, conflict that happens with our day jobs. So, so now we are in the middle of October. Yeah, we're part on of our Halloween, October Halloween, hol- month of horrors, Halloween extravaganza. Hey Blake. Yes. Welcome to another episode <laughs> of Saturday Night Movie Sleepovers. Oh, I thank you. Thanks yes. for having me. Uh, you're Blake, uh, Jay Blake. Yes. And, and I'm Dion Baia. Dion Baia. Yes, and we're back again, and we're here. We're in, we're like you said, we're 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 uh, waist deep in our Halloween. We got the trees. We're we're on the dark side of the moon now. We're coming around because we've just passed. We just did last week part two. We had done the mummy, and now we're on uh, week three. We got the uh, here in uh, the northeast. We got the trees turning. Yeah, it's all turning red. It's getting all gray. And it's getting all scary, crackling. You know, it's getting a little chilly. You got to start wearing crackling that, and rosy. that sweater. Get on that, uh, Yeah, yeah. That that cardigan. And um, so I'm uh, I'm watching my Cagney and Lacey. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah. Like we always do. On the Heroes and Icons? No, on this. No, on, on movies. On it's mo- on movies. Really? Uh, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I know. It's surprising. It's it's 11.3, isn't it? Well, you wouldn't know. But it's 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 the it's it's part of the WPA. For me that's for me that's so um for me that's Heroes and Icons is 11. 
Oh, okay. movies is like five. Oh, we'll check it out. That's for me. I think it's movies, which is odd. Anyway. Um, so, um, don't want to get into the plot, but you know, we're watching. What they do is they binge it now. They make you watch three in a row. So we got to watch week to week because they do, make you know. <laughs> and then what they did was they just reset themselves. And now it used to be on eleven, twelve, one. Now you got in the heat of the night on for a couple hours with Carol O'Connor the series, and yeah. then at midnight. It's it's four episodes, so it's midnight one two three, and so we're up to four o'clock on a Sunday night, four in the morning when we got to get up at like nine the next morning. But I'm like, you know, so we're like, why don't we? It's always like, well, we can always tape the last two and watch them during the week. But then we're so into it, like, let's keep going. Yeah, yeah. So um, at this point in the series, uh, Cagney's gone into rehab and she's going to AA because she was an alcoholic, you know. And she's at she's at uh, Alcoholics Anonymous at a meeting one day, and they're going around the room, and she hasn't introduced herself yet. Mm -hmm. And they stop upon a mailman, and they're like, "Anybody want to talk this week?" And this mailman puts his hand up. He's in his yeah, he's in his mailman outfit. You know, maybe he's coming in there. He's going to work. Yeah, he's going to work. (laughs) He's coming from work. You know, back when they used to give him a little truck. You know, Mm -hmm. nowadays they don't even have that. They just have a little placard that goes on their dashboard of their car. Mm -hmm. Digressing. Anyway, so mailman puts his hand up and he starts talking, and I'm looking at the mailman. And I go, I know that guy. And I go, I think that's a porn star. And so I, I go, I go, honey, to my wife, not to Blake. <laughs> I go, I think that's a porn star. And she's like, you would know, wouldn't you? I'm like, yeah, I would. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, I would. Okay? Yeah, I would know. Okay, I take my, I take pride in myself, <laughs> knowing about these things about myself. And we discussed a couple uh, weeks ago with Greece how they cast Harry Reams, uh-huh. who was uh, notoriously from uh, Deep Throat as the coach, who ended up, they dropped him and they put in instead, um, uh, what's his name, C- uh, Caesar, um, uh, Sid Caesar, Sid Caesar, to replace him. Caesar Romero. Caesar, yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> Caesar Romero came in, with, and then they even tried to grease over his mustache. <laughs> you don't need to do that here. We don't need to do that here. <laughs> you gotta have a mustache. Yeah, this big Greek. Uh, so... Uh, I'm like, well, this is, it's not unheard of that you have porn actors and doing mainstream things, and he's, this is mid-80s. But he's got to work. So, yeah. So, I start looking, and I'm trying to find out what, what um, season it is I'm trying to find, and then, I, I, and then I'm, I'm looking, and I, I find the episode, and I'm looking through, and lo and behold, it is, it, he's only in one episode of Cagney and Lacey. His name's Robert uh, Kerman. Robert Kerman was an, uh, a New York stage actor born in 1947, and of course, back then, like Ron Jeremy ended up doing, like, you know, work was hard. They were doing porn in New York and he you know at first was begrudgingly like I don't know if I want to do this and then he kind of had like you know intimacy issues with everyone on set but then Mm -hmm. he gradually got over it he started doing adult movies come to find out Robert Kerman is in this movie he is oh you know who he is already you know where I'm going with this yeah, Robert Kerman ends up being our man who's in Cannibal Holocaust. He's in Cannibal Holocaust, that's right. Yeah, he's he's the lead he's in, in Cannibal like Holocaust. Dallas, maybe? Uh, yes, he's the gym teacher. Uh, he's the, No, he owns the... Uh, that's true, I didn't even think of that. That's not the porn movie I know him from, but yeah. <laughs> he is the... In Debbie Does Dallas, for everyone who saw it, he's the guy who owns the... Um, the sports uh, store that Bambi Woods is going to to get like you know to try to get money from him, and he's the one like, let me see your tits, now let me, <laughs> you know that's 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 uh, uh, Robert Kerman, and he for us the most legendary or significant is he's one of the leads in Cannibal Holocaust, but through the eighties he's in a ton of stuff. He's like in um, uh, uh, Hunter, he's in all these like episodic eighty shows, and uh, he's also the tugboat captain in the two thousand two Spider Man movie. 
because um, hmm. Raimi had known him from Cannibal Holocaust and knew that he was a working actor. And uh, so I recognized him, and I'm like, oh, I was really satisfied. I was like, I was right. That is him from Cagney and Lacey. And then, He's like, you what? Yeah, you would know it. <laughs> and then now when we're watching this, he shows up again. He's one of the cops he's in this, everywhere. Yeah, he's one of the cops uh, in the scene where um, they're going after the, uh, the serial killer that has come back from the dead, the uh, escaped lunatic. Mm-hmm. And also another Cagney and Lacey reference. 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 <laughs> <laughs> reference. We have David uh, Pamer. Who plays the young scientist? He's the district attorney on Cagney and Lacey. For us, he was in No Holds Barred. He is the second in command. Yes, yes. You know that play, also, he play, stole the show in that movie. He, I brought him up. I couldn't think of his name. I brought him up. David in, Pamer in the Grease podcast. Because oh, I was saying, if you look at like cast photos from stage versions of it, yeah, the original Chicago, yeah, version of Grease before it came to Broadway, he's in it. David Paymer? Well, you can. He's or there's a guy that looks just like him. Born and raised in, in Oceanside, ca- Queens. In a, in the cast, in Ocean, Oceanside, Queens, Oceanside, Long Island. Who, for you and I, remember our old friend Jeremy mm-hmm. from Oceanside? Yeah, Long Island. So it's a very small world. So it's funny that you see. I I find it hilarious that you see these people, these porn stars, not David Paymer, but this other guy, yeah. Robert Kerman, and then they show up in regular yeah, talent. Yeah. And you're like, oh wow, it's 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 well, it's a- interesting because you would think that. Some guys, you know, I don't know if they'd be ashamed, but they wouldn't want to, or, or maybe they wouldn't get the work because people were like, you know, he's an adult star. Why are you casting well, him? Well, I mean, since we're on the TV slant, I mean, I was going to bring this up later, but uh, first of all. Well, you see, there is a connection here. I wasn't being random. We, yeah. There is an ass that, around. There's a conne- I went around the houses a, a bit. There's more of a TV. Con- <laughs> there's, I'm saying there's more TV connection for something that I love. And yeah. of course, we're talking about 1986's Night of the Creeps for, yes. for everybody. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The movie we're doing this week for our third Hall- Halloween installment is the Fred Decker classic. But what I was going to say, since we're talking about TV. That 21 Jump Street. 21 Jump Street. <laughs> David Paymer? Yeah. Classic episode of 21 Jump Street. Yeah. I think he runs like a photo modeling agency and there's like child it's a child porn episode. <laughs> that's great I, I know you know when i jason, hit my 40s and then I'm the gonna two be in that. the two i'll the, be into 21 jump street and then the two leads jason lively and uh steve marshall they're both not together in the same episode but they're both in episodes of 21 jump street yeah you know they they shot even though cagney and lacy's a, a new york city based show they shot in la so they must have been all on it all in L.A. at the time because yeah. they probably shot and none of the creeps is an L.A. movie. Well, uh, 21 Jump Street was shot in Vancouver, but I'm sure they did most of the casting in L.A. Oh, that's true. They just flew them up there, yeah. For but anyway, like so Night of the Creeps, Not 1986, the creeps. Just, we're just a little bit over the 30th anniversary. came out on August 22nd, 1986. Jeez, and we're, here we are. We're doing the, th- we're basically, this is the 30th anniversary. We picked this because... <laughs> 30 years ago, this, this movie came <laughs> and that's out. that's not why we picked no, it, we but didn't. it's a good coincidence. No. You know what we did? We were thinking, like, we did a uh, uh, a Carpenter movie, did, which was also coincidentally, no, well, not coincidentally, very near and dear to your heart. Mm-hmm. It was like a staple. Yeah, yeah. Then we did an older movie, which yeah. was, you know, we had done, like, a really old movie last year, so we figured we'd do Halfway. We did a Hammer movie, which was last week's. And then we're like, what else can we do? And then we're like, let's do something right in the 80s. So something right, because last year we did, as a request... We did the blob, 80s version of the blob. Yeah, what was that, 88 maybe? And that was a lot of fun. And this is very yeah. kind of in the same wheelhouse yeah. a certain, to a certain extent. Yeah, yeah, it was good. Yeah, it's good. So we decided, let's do, you know what, let's do Night of the Creeps. Yeah, because we're always talking about it. We did Monster Squad already, which was Fred Decker's uh Yeah, we only, we only got one more left and then we're done with <laughs> Fred Decker. <laughs> What we could do is episode of Tales from the Crypt. He's got a couple episodes of Tales from the Crypt. I was going to say, they're very substantial episodes. He did the second episode, which is the, it's a remake of the um, original uh, 
episode that appeared in the Tales from the Crypt uh, theatrical movie, which is the Santa Claus one. Mm-hmm. He wrote that one. And then he did a, another one, which with um, uh, Jose Ferrer's son, Miguel Ferrer, where it's uh, he's cheating on, with Terry Hatcher. Oh, the Terry Hatcher one. Remember that yeah. one? And, then the, and that's a very famous old EC comic. They're all EC comics based from the yeah, 50s, yeah. but that's another one where they kill the guy, and then he comes back from the dead to get revenge. Spoiler. Yep, yep. <laughs> if you ever go back, because one of our friends is going back through the catalog of one of the listeners of Santa Cruz yeah, the Rovers. Yeah. And I, and when he said that, I was like, "That's a great idea," but that's just a, that's a commitment there. Yeah, to get them all. We've talked about for a while that we would do like two parters of a show that we like, yeah. or that we would visit an episode or two of of shows that we feel like are. It'd really be hard to commit really to love. like a a complete series. Yeah, yeah. Because then you get into like the uh, B side episodes, or like getting in the weeds, and you're like, "Jesus, season two. Whatever. <laughs> well, we talked about you know? while we were before this is the idea for a show that we settled on there was a brief discussion where we're like well we could pick a tv show and just do like every episode of the tv show and i was like dan i don't know if i could do like yeah that five we, years of MacGyver. Yeah, we could do yeah and like i like MacGyver, but i don't know if i could just talk about every episode of MacGyver. Yeah, that'd be it's, tough it's a, it's a long commitment you know especially you know we're not doing every week we're doing every two weeks every yeah month. it would take forever we, to work t- yeah, seven seasons of macgyver or vice versa 21 jump street you know we go if we'd, we'd have to bounce back and forth one episode here one episode there but um getting back to, to um deckard he'd done uh, split personality this is tales in the crypt which is the joe pesci episode where he's like dating the, the twin girl member uh-huh. uh the twins and then he did all through and all through the house which is the second episode which is the remake of the um fr- from the theatrical mm-hmm. 70s movie and then he did uh, the um, lower birth the bad guy from dark man is he in that he might be in one of them in that oh yeah santa he plays Claus? a santa he plays a santa and then the oh that maybe makes sense because then the girl who plays the mother in monster squad from lethal weapon she plays the woman that this is all happening to you know and then he's coming through the house she mm. she's the one who kills her husband at the beginning and then you know, psycho dressed up as Santa, escaped from mental asylum with an axe. So, and then uh, right, right, right here, <laughs> there's an escape axe wielding maniac escape asylum. And then he directed the thing from the grave, which it might be the episode from with um, Terry Hatcher and um, um, Ho- Miguel Ferrer. Uh, that's the episode f- uh, Mr. Decker directed, as well as he came up with the story for a great personal favorite of mine, which I haven't seen in 30 years. So don't hold it against me, Ricochet. Ricochet, yeah. Dennis, uh, Denzel Washington and John Lifko, Lifkow, whichever yeah, way you so go. He came up with the story for House. That was House. his first screen credit. Well, let's go by back. Steve Miner. So you know a little about sec- him. Who is second unit director on this. So, so you know a little about Decker. We, we talked about it when we did the Monster Squad Yeah, I mean, I, I figure we probably won't get super deep into Fred Decker because I imagine in, uh, I mean, we'll ta- obviously we're, we'll talk about him, but I imagine that we might have got deeper when we did Monster Squad, but I, that was so long ago, I don't remember. Yeah. Um, Basically, he uh, he was a film lover, went to UCLA, but didn't get into the film program. Yeah. But he lived in a in a house. Born 1959, so he's he went to school in the mid 70s, film school or college. And uh, but he all his friends, and I don't maybe some of them weren't in the film program either. But basically, he lived in a house. Um, and I think they called it something like the Pad of Guys or something like that. And he had a bunch of friends, and one of them was Shane Black. Shane he was Black. an English major. Shane Black. Shane Black there. <laughs> uh, um, Mr. Decker went for English. But, you know, he wanted to make movies, and so yeah. he and his friends were always making movies. Shane Black. Uh, also, the two guys that wrote... Um, Ed Solomon. 
and uh, Chris Matheson. Yeah, who wrote uh, the Bill and Ted movies. Those were the guys were, that they all roomed together in this house that you're talking about. And apparently it was, which is, you know, it was, apparently it was a situation much like my situation my senior year of college and then after, and then for five years after that, so for like six years where, you know, like people would move in and move out and, but there was always this house that had, you know, it was like this ongoing thing. That had connections to the college you went to. Yeah, yeah. So then, you know, even if you moved out, you come back and there's still friends nearby or whatever. And, uh, he just, he, you know, they made movies. They made their own movies. He was writing a, uh, he was going to make a short film that he wanted to be like his director's reel. Yeah, I think he only shot like five, uh, the, he only shot like five minutes of it. Is this the one where he wanted to do the, he tried to do a 3D Godzilla movie, but it never panned out? Now this one was uh, this was a, 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 a short film about time travel, and it starred in uh, the the two protagonists were two friends, one of which was handicapped, and then he basically took those two characters and when he was coming up with this movie, put, oh, them, put, him, put them in this movie. Well, that's interesting because then that kind of template of the two friends time traveling is Bill and Ted. Yeah, interesting. You know? Yeah, yeah. And true. then, like you're saying, his first film credit was the writing credit for the horror comedy house. Yeah, so you Steve know? Miner gave him his first uh, really job in the business. and then Wasn't he going to try to direct it, I think, or something, and then that didn't pan out, and then they went and did it. They kind of, yeah, Miner took it and redid has, it. Yeah, because he also has, I think he just has like story credit on it. Which means he probably wrote a draft of the script, and then I'm guessing. But usually, how something like that works is like he might have written a draft of the script, and then they optioned the script, and then the script changed so much, and yeah. went and went through other people's hands that you know they can legally not call him a writer on it. But then maybe the Writers Guild, blah blah blah, gave, gave him a, you know made yeah. sure he got a story credit. For We've talked about that in other casts, but sometimes it can get kind of hairy where you can Blake can make a script, I can do a, a rewrite, but if I don't say maybe do 50% of the rewrite, I won't get credit on it. Yeah. You know, I'm like a, a ghost a, writer. It's a, or a wacky ghost, yeah. so, uh, collection of things. But it's sadly, though, like if Blake has, has his baby, he's been trying to sell for 10 years this great horror movie script, and then say Sony buys it, and then I they take it, and I rewrite the crap out of it, and then they completely turn it into a different movie. They go shoot it, and it ends up blowing. Blake gets the blame, <laughs> you know, and that's how the world works. And they're like, and they're like, well, it wasn't my movie. It wasn't my movie. I got the bullets. That's the old. Uh, <laughs> that's uh, from Greece a couple weeks ago. Throw back there to the old. Um, uh, what do you call Rebel Without a Cause, which we brought up on the. Um, what did we bring that up on? And the uh, the end of the uh, oh the Rocketeer cast we brought that because at the end it takes place. Well, at uh, okay. Well, you know, since those movies came up, let's say that like this movie is in a way. A very perfect uh, movie in this group of movies we've been doing lately. One we talked about like the seventies and eighties nostalgia for like the fifties. Oh yeah, yeah. And this in to revisit in, all. Yeah, you're right there in Greece, and this is very much. Oh, this that. is so. I mean, even for us, for for as like, what's your backstory on this movie? Do you have a backstory on this movie? No, not really. Okay. I don't honestly. I don't think I even saw it until I was in college. Um, in the, uh, I mean, I was I I knew Monster Squad. Yeah, but I don't think I really saw this movie until until much later. I uh, and like I said, a lot of times, like my mom didn't have cable, and that's where I was most of the time. Um, so I didn't have the benefit of just like seeing shit like USA up all night yeah, or yeah. like whatever. All those kind of like yeah. Yeah. I um I don't have the Monster Squad um history that you do. I remember it coming out and it came and went. And I didn't see it and then yeah. it kind of was a loose eluded me. And then I remember being on pay TV, but then I didn't see it until probably with you and like oh 
like 05 or 06 when we lived together yeah, after yeah. college. But this movie here, um, I remember in the New York City area, the Tri-State area, there was WPIX Channel 11, and they would play movies on the afternoon. And this was a movie that just showed up in the rotation probably like in 90, 91. Now, right around that time, uh, I discovered the original Night of the Living Dead. And Savini had just remade Night of the Living Dead. So um, I don't know what came first, if I saw Night of the Living Dead or if I saw the remake, but I got the remake, and the re- remake absolutely scared the absolute shit out of me. Probably because a lot of my growing up, every house I lived in, I always had a vantage point through my bedroom window of a cemetery. <laughs> so that didn't really <laughs> help me dad's too well. Uh, prerequisite. <laughs> the, the real estate Listen, agent. the boy <laughs> needs to, <laughs> to be able to see a graveyard. Look, does it, <laughs> is there a bedroom that looks over a graveyard? <laughs> because I want to keep my kid in check. And what better way to make him piss his pants at night than I tell him the zombies are going to come get him. And uh, we can get all into that when we actually end up doing uh, one or both of those uh, Night of Living Dead movies. But I remember at the time, the, the Tony Todd classic, the original, the remake of Night of the Living Dead, uh, that was very much, you know, I was taking that tape around and showing people. And it scared the shit out of you me. You want to see something <laughs> You want to see something really fucking scary, man? <laughs> you want to see something that's going to fucking make you pee your pants? So this movie ended up coming out on TV. And even though it was on TV, it was pretty gory for the time. And it was like an afternoon movie. And this is another movie because probably it's 80s zombie movie. And, you know, me... I don't know if we've ever established this on the cast, but growing up, like, because of probably Thriller and then, like, the Vincent Price movie, The Last Man on Earth, zombies have always scared the shit out of me. So with the remake of Night of the Living Dead and then me seeing the original Night, seeing this movie uh, in the early 90s there uh, scared the crap out of me. And then, like, I was introduced later on to Day of the Dead and Dawn of the Dead uh, from a friend of mine, Marvin Jones. What about uh, Return of the Living Dead? Yeah, I saw Return of the Living Dead at the same time, but I didn't like Return of the Living Dead because for for me, I took a hard stance where since Return of the Living Dead, at the time I saw it, I looked at it as a serious movie, where now when you look back at it, it is certainly tongue-in-cheek to a certain respect. So I I always took the position that like in my, as as preposterous as that is, I always thought my zombies should be um, like slow moving, you know, until I saw... Zack Snyder's remake of Dawn and I was like okay maybe there is and you can explain away that when they die quickly they can still run until rigor sets in and then after rigor like 12 to 15 hours maybe then they can eat run again but so I always had a problem with because like in Return they're like you know send more cops so, you know yeah, yeah. but then when you see Return of Living Dead 2 that's you know completely a spoof get that damn screwdriver out of my head or you know like that was hilarious I loved Return of Living you know uh, Return of Living Dead 2 so that was fine with me but these movies that were serious just scared the shit out of me, and um, certainly Day of the Dead, Dawn of the Dead. So when you get into this movie, this would be on TV, like during the day on a Saturday afternoon. I'd watch it, but I wouldn't watch it, and uh, I'd always catch it near the end, like certainly the scene when they're near like the uh, t- tool shed. Yeah, that kind of that. that I'd, I'd always see that scene with the lawnmower, and, uh, and then certainly, which we'll go on to talk about, is on TV they would play the alternate ending. Yeah, which is the ending I saw and knew growing up from this movie, which is interesting too. To think that on you know early '90s Saturday afternoons, they're still playing a gory, you know, Burton zombie Tom Atkins. You know, they, they showed all that. Yeah, yeah. You know, you would think that they kind of heavily edited it for that time, but they didn't. So that's how I knew this movie. But then I never, you know, and then I knew the cover. It has a very iconic uh, uh, cover art poster, uh, scary, and then. It, 
I never, I guess, dawned on me that it is all the implications of it being like a dark comedy of spoof. Yeah, yeah. So that always, maybe because I never saw the setup. Yeah, yeah. And then I, you know, I knew it from working at a video store, but then for years I'd never seen it until I think you got a bootleg of it maybe. Yeah, because this was took forever for this to come out on DVD. So you maybe had a bootleg of I the bought LaserDisc, a, right? I bought a bootleg probably from a LaserDisc or an old VHS. No, it's a LaserDisc because uh, I remember I've watched it recently that, and it's it's there's widescreen. It's I mean it's only like it's not like one three five. It's, yeah, it's yeah. whatever, but it's it's and it's beautiful. So it's yeah. not it's clearly not a VHS. I so I would think it's a LaserDisc. I bought that at a uh, horror convention. You buy everything at horror conventions, you <laughs> That was years ago. Well, like, you couldn't get this one. Yeah. The other movie I bought at the horror convention, which is now available. Which, Life Force. Which wasn't available then, is the Garbage Pail Kids. The I movie. still haven't seen that movie. That's oh. another one. <laughs> oh, that, you're in for a treat. We should do that in, in Howard the Duck as a double feature. <laughs> yeah, that, you know? that would be fucking That'd be a weird, wacky double feature. But that's another movie I never saw, Garbage Pail Kids. But like, you remember, I was with you when you bought the Life Force. That was one that was, and that was a director's cut maybe? Why did we buy that? Or did we just, I think maybe we walked by the table and they had it on. And we're like, oh, well, that's maybe. awesome. They had it like on loop, that autopsy scene where the oh, maybe, thing yeah. comes up and like, you know, the the the, 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 the power of the sun comes out of yeah. the eyes. I, used to, I bought a lot of Fulci movies that were bootlegs. A lot of the early Argento stuff we watched together were bootlegs from yeah. like Japanese laser discs. Yeah. The Japanese had the best laser discs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Whenever that was like that's like code for fucking awesome back then. Yeah. We're talking like we're talking the, for us it was yeah. the mid it was the late nineties, but you even some, before that it'd be like, yo guys, I got something taped off of a Japanese laser disc. Yeah. Come closer. <laughs> it's like that dude from The Simpsons, you know, I've got a Japanese laser disc. <laughs> And that was always even like Leon, the yeah, the professional. Oh, that yeah. was that was uh, off a. Uh, it wasn't a, maybe it was a Japanese laser. Probably was a Japanese. We had a VHS copy of it, and that was like you were like, why is it called Leon? <laughs> you know what idiot named it Leon? And then we're like, that's the real title. <laughs> like, oh, you fucking jerk! Yes, you jag off. <laughs> but uh, so that was my history with this movie. So that's your history with this movie. Yeah. I didn't discover it till later. Probably I know that we would talk about it. And you always knew that it was like by the time we met, like you knew that when the TV version had a different ending. Because I know you were the one that kind of like tipped me on off to that. Or maybe we watched it on oh, we may, something. Yeah. And, and then you're I was like, like, that's not the ending I know. Yeah, or, <laughs> or something. Because I know you were the one that told me that it had a different ending when on television when you used to watch it. But in terms of. And that's an interesting phenomenon because we see that happen in certain movies. We, and most notoriously, maybe, what is that, Army of Darkness? Army of Darkness has a, a, a lot of different stuff in it. And we said that. Uh, Halloween has not a different ending, but has extended scenes. That Halloween 2, right, as well? Halloween two has a different television cut, you know, and we just said that's filler, right? They needed to a lot. Nowadays they would just they said fuck it, we'll just nowadays they'll just cut another fucking yeah, they'll half add more hour commercials, <laughs> add more commercials. But back then they had a certain clock that they were trying to to hit with uh, the commercial breaks, and it needed to be X amount of minutes long. And like Army Darkness, for instance, is like you know less than 90 minutes i mean that's like a, it's like an 80 minute movie so yeah. they probably needed to fill like 10 minutes worth of that's an insane concept to think back then like an artist a director or something you know you could theoretically see stuff you know uh that you you know if you were a fan of the movie that you wouldn't have saw theatrically yeah and you'd put it in there and that would be an alternate cut and you know i think there's a lot of movies probably you know, if you go through a list there's probably someone who's made a list somewhere well when i went to uh in april i went to california and i, I visited Warner Brothers studio um, 
I think it was Warner. No, uh, Warner Brothers. I visited a few of them, but one of them, which we talk about in a sidecast we did on your, which might have been Paramount. I guess it was Paramount because that's Raiders of the Lost Ark is Paramount. But we went into like the vault. Yeah. Where they keep you, you, we brought this up on the thing. You like, said there's a, they like, had all the different, like all the they have all the like, the like film prints right? and all the tapes, old beta, digit beta, like every format that you've like ever seen. Wow. You know, it's like flip books, <laughs> story, photo novels. But as you look on the shelf, it's like Barbarella, Barbarella French version, Barbarella German version, Barbarella television version. You know, and it's, they have like all these. You know, housed in this room, this like refrigerated room, climate control. Yeah, all these different versions. But what I was going to say about how this uh, movie kind of fits perfectly with the kinds of things we've been doing. One, we talk about the nostalgia thing, and we'll get into that. That that's I feel is going to be a, a very like maybe the bulk of the conversation here is the the, the nostalgic a- nostalgia a- aspects of this movie. But um, the guy who produced it, Charles Gordon. Mm. Who, uh, who, uh, <laughs> who, uh, he produced all kinds of great stuff. Die Hard, K9, Jeez. Lock Up, Oof. Die Hard 2, uh, Unlawful Entry, favorite mm. of mine. Yeah. He also was one of the producers of The Rocketeer. Wow. That all which, comes for a circle, which full we, circle. Which we did on our, our second anniversary yeah. uh, episode just a couple of weeks ago. And... We kind of teased this this movie, Night uh, Night of the Creeps, last week because last week's film took place uh, was made in 1959. Yeah, and the opening section of this movie takes place in 1959. In 1959. Yeah, or so, that movie last week was made 1959, took place in 1989, and this one 1895 and 1899. But it was made in 1959. And this one starts off with a really groovy flashback in 1959 and then takes place in 86. Yeah. Pledge week. So, uh, a lot of, I feel like we're, we're, we're in a lot of the same yeah. territory. Yeah. And especially for the TV, the nostalgic TV aspect of it, you know, growing up, you'd see it on television. I think it got the crap played out of it on TV for people. Well, you know, it's interesting because you, you we talked about like the alternate ending and, and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll talk a little more about maybe the reasoning behind an alternate ending, but in terms of it being a TV ending, what's interesting about that is that there's a whole generation of people like yourself where that ending, which is now considered the director's cut ending, which mm-hmm. is what you get on the DVD and Blu-ray and stuff, was your ending. Yeah. Even though it was, that was not the theatrical ending for it and, and not the ending that was on the, like the VHS tapes and, and rental stores in the 80s. Yeah. Because it only played like in in like L.A. and New York for like a week or something, and then it was kind of pulled. It kind of came and went, sadly. And this also, it, the same year that Decker had done um, Monster Squad, and I think, what did he, he had shot, we, we, we said this on the Monster Squad podcast, he had shot Monster Squad, no, he had shot Night of the Creeps, and the buzz was pretty good, and he got Monster Squad, or he had shot Monster Squad, and then he was doing Night of the Creeps. No, no, this was first. So th- this so hadn't been so released yet, but buzz around the Hollywood community is like, this is going to be really good, you know? Yeah. And then that, because of the word of mouth, he got Monster Squad. And then both of them kind of tanked. But unfortunately, it's one of those circumstances why, where, um, and he gives a little nod to Monster Squad in yeah, this movie. Yeah, in with, the bathroom. With graffiti on the bathroom, says, go Monster Squad. But, uh, which, and then he wrote Monster Squad with Shane Black, who went on to do Lethal Weapon. Yeah. And because of this movie, that's one of the main reasons why Tom Atkins is in Lethal Weapon. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because Shane Black told Donner, 
he's like, you know, you should think about, you know, like my buddy just made this movie with Tom Atkins, and he was fucking awesome at it. Yeah, and he <laughs> and plays you should, a. You should think about putting Atkins in. This come to movie. think of it, Atkins plays a fabulous role in, uh, you know, for that for that um, the connection to, to to Raj to Danny Glover's character. Yeah. Um, and uh, but it, unfortunately, Decker had one of those circumstances where everybody thought Monster Squad was great. And then in terms of like before it came out, like the business people and the studio and his producers. So he got Monster, I mean, uh, Night of the Creeps. So then he got Monster Squad and he's in the middle of making Monster Monster Squad when Night of the Creeps comes out and Night of the Creeps flops. Yeah. So now it's like, you just like, you know, takes, I'm sure it must've taken like the wind out of his sails as he's now trying to helm his next project. And now everybody's. They start calling All him. of a sudden, now it's like, that happened to the same thing happened with Stallone. You know, Stallone made a movie called Paradise Alley yeah. with uh, Armando Sante. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Tom Waits shows up in Paradise <laughs> Alley. And then he went straight into directing. Uh, Staying Alive? Or the Rocky Two. Rocky Two, okay. So he, direct, he directed Paradise Alley, goes right into directing Rocky Two. And then Paradise Alley comes out and flops, and all of a sudden, like... Is that his directorial debut, Paradise Alley? I believe so. Okay. And then he has to continue making this movie now, you know, probably feeling unsure about himself. Everybody's probably pointing the finger at him and, you know, keeping their eye on him. And, yeah. Um, well, it, but it's, some, it's not an uncommon thing because you take the other side of the spectrum, you take a guy like Jim Cameron... Jim Cameron uh, was in pre-production for Terminator, and the buzz was so good that they asked him about Rambo 2, and he wrote the spec script, a spec script for Rambo 2, which turned out to be like a phone book. But the basic plot, Stallone ended up transitioning and cutting and made it into Rambo yeah. 2. And then he also did Aliens. He wrote all this pre-production for Aliens. But the the 20th Century Fox had said to to themselves, you know, we'll just wait and see if Terminator does well. If not, we'll we'll fire him and he won't do Aliens. So the same thing could have happened. He could have started Aliens and then if Terminator flopped, yeah. it, he could have been in a Fred Decker situation. But luckily, Terminator was a, a smash hit, like a sleeper, and then, you know, it, it, it you know the rest is history. Now I think that you know I was fa- I'm always fascinated by like the first movie thing, you know. It's uh Do you mean like a like yeah, a director's like, first movie? Well or? yeah, like because here's a guy wasn't in a film program, you know, so he didn't have the benefit you know, those film pro those those film programs over in California yeah. are very closely knit with studios and stuff. Of course. You yeah. know, and you, you have like guest speakers come, like, you know, Carpenter I believe was he was a UC USC guy and, you know, they had lectures from you know, when he was in school from Hitchcock and oh yeah, <laughs> and oh yeah, Howard Hawks, um, and, and then they were in their UCLA. Um, Decker and them went to so UCLA. I mean, you had people like Jim Morrison and Raymond Zara graduated UCLA. Oliver Stone. You had a lot of. I mean, those that's just the hitting the cusp. But there's tons of people who graduated the U. Yeah, yeah, but Coppola. Yeah, but. Uh, in terms of, what's, but my point is, like, you, 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 unlike us, when we got out, the, we always joke about Blake and I, and we, the film school we went to, they taught us everything, which was so beneficial, except they gave us a diploma, and then they never told us how to get a job. Yeah. So the problem with us is a lot of people, you end up, like all of our contemporaries, you end up with a, with a whole bunch of student loan, and then no place to find a job, so like a lot of people would just go back and move back into their parents' basements, and then they never end up having a film career or getting a job because they're trying to they get a day job. Yeah. So... 
But you also, like in California, like, yeah, like there's the connections and stuff. But I feel like those connections probably weren't as uh, easily obtainable by a guy like Fred Decker, who was at UCLA, but wasn't in the film program. Yeah. You know, the film program itself was probably had very, you know, had strong ties to maybe studios and you had all these people that went there and yada, yada, yada. But here's a guy loved movies, had friends that loved movies. Um you know, came up with stories for movies, house we were just talking about. So he comes up with this idea and he talks about how the inspiration for this movie came from night of the creeps for night of the creeps came from the, the line thrill me. Yeah. He had this idea of like, well, what if you had like this hard nosed detective fifties time, you know, like gruff guy and he's having a dream or a nightmare and he's woken up from the, by the phone and when he answers the phone he says thrill me yeah that's was the that was the origin of this movie so then he's like okay that's like that would be like a really cool scene now what kind of will make him a detective so the phone call will be like a crime happened and he has to go investigate okay so that's that's kind of our story now what's the crime and he's like well i have these two characters from this other from this short film that i've been working on time travel thing what if i take those two characters put them in here two best friends they're in college one of them is in love you know in a total like 80s love at first sight kind of way very very john (laughs) hughes yeah that's kind of like the beauty of this movie it's like one he so this movie starts to come together so now we have a female character and it just all starts to come together now he's obviously a guy uh like ourselves very nostalgic and loves all kinds of things, and 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 a lot of times with a first-time filmmaker, and I attri- and I and I'll uh, I'll equate it to uh, Ryu Kitamura, who did the movie Versus that nobody loves except for me. Yeah, <laughs> where you K- love Versus, <laughs> where Kitamura had the same kind of mentality, which was like this may be the only movie I ever get to make. So. If this is the only one, I'm going to throw everything I love into this one movie. So a movie like Versus, it's like zombies, it's sword fights, Monsters. it's silly, like, Raimi-esque, and, on, and kind of a little bit like this, you know, kind of like goofy, gory comedy. And there's, mo- you know, there's like, the, yeah, like the... The, uh, the, the Death j- Forest. Yeah, yeah, it's like all kinds of wacky... It's, it's like uh, Japanese mythology. Yeah, folklore, that movie yeah. is like this wacky mashup of all these different things. And it's and in that way, it's like so much like this movie. Yeah. I mean, this movie is almost like the ultimate mashup of kind of like everything awesome. You know, it's it's so clearly, I mean blatantly especially because the first you know quarter of the movie takes is like an 80 is like a 50 is a 50s like sci-fi movie but so it's like so blatantly like a love letter to 50 science fiction and even more so um Plan Nine from Outer Space or whatever. The, yeah, the Ed, played on, that, that plays on a lot in the movie. Yeah, it? there's but even like the plot's kind of very reminiscent of it. And then it comes out in '86, so you get like you said, it's got this very strong like Hughes esque, uh, you know, buddy comedy, teen comedy thing going on. And then you have uh, Tom Atkins' character, Cameron, 
who is f- plucked right out of like a film noir. <laughs> yeah, I mean, even in the in the background of his of his apartment that we see, he's you've got like he's got a um, Dashiell Hammett books, he's got um, detective magazines, he's driving like a uh, like a forty Studebaker, which is freaking, which looks like it's like a stick with the stick on the tree, and yeah. he's shifting and and it's uh. Uh, I w- and then you have like the urban legend of like the escaped so, men- yeah, mental <laughs> with a wielding an axe is is like total. It's just so much of this stuff going on, and it's just like this. But it all works, feast though. feast of like nostalgia and mashup, and and then you get into like you know, and then you get into like like he made this movie full of this you know this nostalgia, and then we're doing a podcast about nostalgia and we're being nostalgia for a movie that he made 30 years ago for nostalgia (laughs) you know we're talking nostalgically about a movie that was made 30 years ago that's about 30 years (laughs) (laughs) that's being being nostalgic for that for for 30 years before which is what we said a couple weeks ago for the end of the uh the, screw, the the summer grease cast yeah. grease is being nostalgic for that fifties again that fifties era. There's something there with that. We have to keep running with that. Yeah, yeah. The fifties so era like nostalgia. It's, it's this weird like we're in this like vortex. <laughs> it just you know you, with all these elements he throws in, you wouldn't think it would work. And um, you it know, is so on the borderline of being a, a fall into shit but it, it never does it's brilliant and it's just like it's like i know we sometimes talk about the perfect movie and to me it feels like it's like it has it's the, the only thing that i fi- find kind of tired in it this viewing is just like you know every person's name is a reference to like a director or something yeah which is fine but you but know we're talking either in here 1986 but i wonder not a time where like yeah people wouldn't have but that's my thing is like do you think this would have played do you think this is that the reason why this flopped is because this didn't play as well as it plays now for people he, the audience wasn't there yet for this because everything, like even the opening scene, you're saying like first he wanted to shoot the movie in black and white. And they're yeah. like, no, you're not going to shoot it in black and white. So what does he do? He has this really extended f- opening sequence that takes place in '59. Well, the it's real opening white. sequence is like oh yes, so yes. 80s. It's this this epilogue where it's like uh, yeah, it's they start on an alien ship and it's again like explorers or it's like um, yeah. critters or yeah, it's like the alien. The ship is very much like the Nostro- yeah, like the, the Nostromo. You know, and, and it's very much like uh, you know from what you can gather from what's happening is like there's. I don't know what, you know, there's three aliens. One of them's running with, it could be an experiment. There's two others with guns trying to stop him, yeah. and he's trying well, he's to. He's got, we will be later, you know, if you've seen the movie before, if you see this after you've seen the movie, you know, we've seen the movie many times now. The one that's got, like, the canister, he's got clouded eyes, so he's creeped. Oh, yeah, okay. And so he's trying to jettison, jettison the creeps. Yeah. The little slithery guys that make uh, the zombies. Um, I guess to and we don't release know if, them. Yeah, we don't know if they're um some sort of experiment by that that by those aliens, that civilization, yeah. or are they something that they stumbled across maybe, and it's yeah. kind of like it a, could have been like alien, you know? Yeah, like where they or, they went to a distress call and they invasion got of the infected, body snatchers maybe too. With, yeah, who knows what? But what's, that's not important. The point is that there's this opening sequence. Yeah, we're just, picking up the story after that, which is completely. It starts off like on completely on cloud nine, and it's just like wow, and then it's jettisoned 
and then it cuts to like 59 and it's like you know there's this great story about same kind of a thing these people going to like the date and the yeah it's you like know, so, you know they're on sorority row and it's you know pledge week or whatever but it's 1959 at corman university and they're using like great you know there's a great song i mean they're using see i was thinking at first they wouldn't be using like uh real songs he'd yeah. have but he, they got the rights to like um you know put your head on my show like all those early yeah. doo-wop and you know there's some really 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 great songs in it and then it's this story where and it's just like so on the mark he comes i think he's driving a thunderbird he comes up and he's going to get his date this this guy in like a one of the letter cardigans yeah like a letterman of uh college oh yeah he's a he's a in a fraternity and he's going to get his sorority sister and then as soon as he's about to turn the car off you have we you know we interrupt this you know and it's just perfect there's a mental escape and then you turn (laughs) off and it's all you need to know and then it's like and then you hear one of the girls say about the um uh about the in passing he's a cop he has no future so we know and, and then later we find out that's the tom atkins character yeah she's telling him about like you know give up on him and uh, oh because she, she says like uh and then later on you know we find out the beat cop because then they the two of them get together they get in the car the convertible yeah, they the drive up to, like make out point like yeah lover's lane and then uh then there's a cop there's a beat cop clearing him out and he's like don't you know and then he sees uh, it's his old girlfriend, and, yeah. and she's like, "Ray, what are you doing here?" So we, Sandy, yeah, and he's like, <laughs> he's like, "All right, just get out of here." So we kind of surmise that maybe, uh, come to find out, that is Tom Atkins' yeah. character. That Tom Atkins maybe feels guilty that he cut him loose. He gave him a break. Get out of here, you know, because um, the next step is they end up getting killed. Yeah, but you know, we we find that out later. Then then, well, yeah, I mean, we find we'll we'll talk about because Tom Atkins is actually. Guilt, feel he seems like he feels guilty for a lot of there's a it's a very intricate almost too intricate yeah <laughs> of like the things that are really fucking him up but uh yeah he he's you know this was his girlfriend now she's got a new guy and he's like just just go home yeah and then this is you know her her sorority sisters are trying to like justify like he's just a cop he's got a, you know he's got like a municipal a municipal job and just who cares yeah. go with this guy so then Right when that happens, um, you know, he leaves and, um, you, they're, they're, you know, they're making out a little bit and you see, they're like, look at the stars and we see this thing come out and it, it ends up like a meteor crashing yeah, and yeah. they go follow. Total, I'm surprised like, that no one else goes and follows. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? But they but only follow. Kind of right out of the blob. Right out of the blob. They go track it down. They park on the side of the road. The the, the boyfriend goes into the woods. She's sitting there um, and a, a fabulous song comes on. It's called The Diamonds and the song's called The Stroll and it's got this amazing 50s era uh saxophone and it has that saxophone kind of like roll like and uh he goes into the woods very much like you're saying like the blob he's you know checking shit out and it's it's very much like the bum going in there and then you know something goes in his mouth same time you have this escape lunatic he's on the highway and going towards corman university and she turns the headlights on and hilarious like the two signs are right next to you she's like we gotta get out of here and across the way, he's walking up, the, you know, and yeah. it's great. And then he walks up behind her, the escape lunatic with a fire axe, and he goes and swings, and then bang, that's over. And, and then bam, we're on sorority row, 1886. 1886. And, uh, and then we have the credits. And the credits, um, they're so out of EC Comics. Yeah. It's so creep show. It's so, this movie, it's funny because Decker ends up writing and directing one episode of the, the night of the uh, Tales from the Crypt series, yeah, yeah. but this, for all intents and purposes, is basically like a ninety or eighty-eight minute, however long it is, episode of Tales from the Crypt yeah, or EC yeah. Comics. You know what I mean? EC Comics, also yeah. very uh, 
very logo of the cover of like Monsters of Filmland, yeah, kind of thing. Very like that, very nostalgic, monstery. Yeah. But the like the for the, be. for the font of the movie, it's like it's very much like EC or yeah, even like yeah. Creepshow, from which sure, was a couple yeah. years earlier. You know, with the with the really hot colors and and the zigzags that aligns. And we come up to you know eighty six, and it's um, our two guys here. Yeah, we got Chris Romero, yeah, J C Hooper, yeah. John Carpenter Hooper, yeah, um, and they're oh, they're looking for the date. They're looking for dates. For, I think they're looking for dates for the and thing. Chris sees uh, Jill. Was that it? What's, oh, Cynthia. Jill uh, Whitlow plays her. Um, see Cynthia Cronenberg across yeah. the street, and a kind of total like eighties. And like I'm very, I always joke around that. You know, there, that there's a in my heart. I'm like a teenage girl. Yes, yeah. there is this. There is you this, love all this. There is this piece of like this romantic and we, <laughs> like we, we innocent eighties. We've been doing teen love. It's interesting that we've been through this. <laughs> we've been psychoanalyzing each other through the series of this podcast. Blake's determined because of my f- upbringing and my father's influence and the macho ness of me being exposed to Clint Eastwood westerns. Uh, Warner Brothers gangster movies, fifties horror films. Uh, that's well, why. So I am. those are the movies that you're nostalgic. And for. then you, you, you know, you living with your mom. She's watching the courtship of Eddie's father. <laughs> yeah, she, courtship of Eddie's father. She's right. watching uh, Gidget. You know, you're all these things you're exposed to. You're nostalgic for these. You know, you have the you. You're basically you love these. Teen, you know, you said the best part of. A lot of these is like, you know, the Greeks, you're like, I want to see the prequel. I want to see the summer. Of- yeah, <laughs> I want to see that summer loving. Yeah. I want to see it develop. Yeah. It's true. Like, I'll watch horror movies. Uh, the first inclination where I had this was actually I went to the movies by myself to see the remake of Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah. And I'm sitting in the movie theater, and I'm just like, I I really wish Freddie wouldn't show up. Like, I just want to watch this movie between, like, these two girls. <laughs> and then, With the teen angst and all yeah, that. Yeah, like the, like a teen angst movie with, like, these these teenage... And that's you know, why you, you have such and, an affinity and, for the John Hughes movies as yeah, well. Yeah, and, and uh, Neon Maniacs is another perfect example. Where that movie, just like, I really wish the Neon Maniacs never showed up in that movie. And he just had this, like, really kind of cheesy, but beautifully cheesy yeah. like 80s melodrama <laughs> going on but so yeah I mean I'm very nost- I'm very nostalgic for like the John Hughes thing and it's, it's and even and like the even and you know we did uh, we did Breakfast Club and we, we kind of called that like our you know thrown in on a girl movie but that's not really a girl movie no. I mean girls love it but it's we, we got we put it under the helm because it was a John Hughes movie girls like John Hughes but movies yeah, but I it mean, was not I like I like 16 Candles and even though he didn't direct Pretty in Pink I like Pretty in Pink and yeah um, but yeah. It's, when we get to the age where we're able to recognize and identify these these kind of like um, red flags, we're like, oh yeah, you start thinking about your youth, and you're like, me, I was exposed to Thriller when I was little, and Vincent Price and zombies. So that's why yeah. I'm scared shitless of zombies in this movie. So you, you know, those early '60s, you know, episodic television, like you yeah, know, yeah, there's that, but also you know the kinds of movies that we watched that would be on PBS because that's was like yeah. the only time. So we would watch like I would often Singing in the Rain and yeah, Singing in the Rain. And my mom was, we, I remember watching on that black and white television, thinking it was black and white my whole life, but I don't think African Queen is black and white. But watching the African Queen, my yeah. mom loved Humphrey Bogart and, and Catherine Hepburn, so we watched that. And of course, uh, 
Casablanca. Yeah, that was yeah. like that to this day. That's still one of my favorite movies yeah. of all time. And you love Philadelphia Story. Too. <laughs> like you all know? those movies. But there's also there's like this romanticism. Uh, uh, I mean, obviously, I have like rom- like a romanticism in terms of nostalgia. But there's also like they're romantic. You'll movies. love Cagney and Lacey, man. <laughs> That's one of those, like I've said before on this cast, I never thought I'd ever see the day where I said that. And I just, it turned it on but, one night. I mean, it's like, talk about it. That's, I mean, that's why I love 21 Jump Street so much. I yeah. mean, not the romantic aspect of it, but like, so it's, it just, an, it just it's an 80s, it's an 80s teen melodrama, but they are cops. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And, it's, and just, it's like every week they're at a new school dealing with teenagers that troubled teenagers. And it's like, it's exactly, but did you it's watch everything that I love? About did you watch 21 Jump Street? I uh, did watch okay. it when I was little, but I was too little. Because it'd be interesting if like with, with me, with Cagney Lacey, you come around on it. You're like, holy crap. I wouldn't have, I didn't even know. You I know? I did watch it, but it wasn't like it was my show. Yeah. I mean, yeah, cause yeah. I was too young to really get into it, but I do remember watching it. And when I revisited it, you know, five years ago or whenever it was, and then totally fell in love with it. There were episodes and things that I remembered. Yeah. Um, now, one thing, bef- since we took another pit stop here, uh, a couple months ago, we went into a thing about, uh, I went home, my mom wanted me to clean out some of my shit from the basement. Oh, that became a recurring summer thing with us over our summer Where series. Where I had, I would bring... So we had for the Ghostbusters podcast, like surprises with us original Ghostbuster pins that were yeah, from the from thing. the 80s. Then the next one we did summer rental and you you um, surprised us with uh, original 3D glasses from Freddy's Dead. Freddy's Dead that were from circa then. Yeah, yeah. And then I think you had a third, which I can't remember, but that was your summer surprises. So this one... You I brought one with I, us. I, I unfortunately don't have two, and yeah. since we, you know, we have to get back to the movie. But since we're talking about Twenty One Jump Street, it reminded me because I recently there was a show that I did love when I was little, same time as Twenty One Jump Street. It was a show called Werewolf. Yeah, oh yeah, you love Werewolf, and I was fucking in love with Werewolf. It was like my first hard love was was Werewolves largely fueled by this show and it's also a very halloween thing for for show and tell because i got this at like a halloween party that was like set up by philadelphia it was at some like philadelphia civic center you bring your kids and we'll have games oh okay you know it was like a public halloween party and i went as black suited spider-man Wow. It was a black, Secret Wars. It was, it was a black sweatsuit that my grandmother sewed. The a, emblem? A the big, big white, white, like felt white spider on. Wow, that must have been hot <laughs> if it wasn't cold out, you know? <laughs> and, well, it was October. Oh, I know, but it'd be funny if it's, it's all freaking like And I like, say 21 uh, Jump Street because velvet. a couple of years ago, I bought a bootleg, uh, bootleg seasons on DVD, the one season of the show. Werewolf. Werewolf, which yeah. never had like any kind of official release. So somebody had taped them on VHS. Yeah. And then there's this bootleg floating around. And at the end of every episode, it's like, you know, it's the end your end credits of Werewolf. And it's like, and tomorrow on 21 Jump Street, Tom Hansen. <laughs> and I have no memory of this Werewolf show. <laughs> and, and they would tell you what was going to be up. And I said, I should be, I should watch Werewolf. And then, and then watch find, that episode, and then find the episode of Twenty One. Well, Jump what's Street. this? What's the premise of Werewolf? Just a kid gets becomes a werewolf. This and guy becomes a werewolf. Yeah, and, and he, he gets teenager? like a stigmata on his hand, and that's when he knows he's going to turn. No, he's like in his twenties. Okay. Anyway, so uh, at this Halloween party, circa nineteen eighty seven. Yeah. You we got you get a little gift bag was full candy and stuff, and now the, this one of the sponsors of this little party must have been the local Fox affiliate. Okay. So inside. 
that bag was this item. Now, how it connects to this movie, aside from being a Halloween Ladies and gentlemen, party, I have not seen the item yet. Aside from being a Halloween party 29 years ago. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and full disclosure, I don't know what he's going to show me. So like, yeah. he could kill me on tape. <laughs> <laughs> it's this gun. Yeah. Well, there's <laughs> one bullet in it. Sticky <laughs> mouth. <laughs> You're going to play a little Russian roulette. But yeah. the star of the show Werewolf, John T. York, yeah. is one of the frat boys in Night of the Creeps. Is he the blonde? He's No, he's got... Uh, the he only has a couple of lines. The only time I recognize them is they're getting on the bus. And he says, like, hey, where's Brad? What's the Bradster? Oh, okay. <laughs> anyway, so here's the item. Okay. I got my <laughs> eyes closed still. I'm going to open them. <laughs> I'm presenting Dion with... Oh, oh, wow. So what we got here, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to try to describe <laughs> it to you. It's a button, right? It's a, it's a, it's a button you put on your... Uh, your lapel, and it's, it's one of big. these hologram. It's a big button. It's probably like a good maybe uh, three inches in three diameter. Inches, three inches in diameter, I would say. And it's 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 one of these '80s holograms. So it's it's our actor, who's the actor John Werewolf, T. York, J- who is featured in Night of the Creeps. And then when you slightly turn it, let me get it right. You turn <laughs> it, it, it turns into <laughs> werewolf, and then it, and then it has it has him as a werewolf as in the you, logo. As you tilt it. You get the picture of the werewolf. Yeah, and then it's all based on the eyes. I don't know how we'll there. present that as a picture. If we'll be able to, I don't know how you do that. Yeah, I don't I don't know. Know. maybe you can find image. that. Maybe you can. He looks. He looks very much like Michael Rooker. He does look a little Rookerish in that. You know, like Michael Rooker. He looks like if Rooker and Michael Bean had a kid. <laughs> if the two Michaels had a kid. <laughs> yeah, he looks. It's very much Michael Rooker from all those people who know uh, <laughs> Steven Seagal's career. He's in the first. Um, uh, above the law, I saw the top of her head. That's Michael Rooker there in that bar scene. But he's very young Michael Rooker, circa like um, uh, Henry Porch of a serial killer. So that you got, geez, this is like a, I got so that. this must have blew your mind when you found this. Oh yeah, that was, although that might have been you must just, have sat down and cried. Although that you know this, I don't remember that very well. Could have been the thing that made me watch the show. Oh, that's a good point. Um, yeah, because you're right, because they could have been really trying to push this. Yeah. So they're like, you know, they, they have get all the this. Kids. We'll get the kids in love with it. Yeah. <laughs> this show about werewolves. It's funny. I, this reminds me, <laughs> since we've completely stopped the bus and we've gotten off yeah. and we're looking, we're smelling, yeah. it, we're stretching our legs. This is so much. Talk about nostalgia. Yeah. I, I'm holding a piece of my childhood You right got You got to uh, put your dick away. <laughs> <laughs> you need to, uh, I'm kidding. You need to find out. Maybe you can find that online, and maybe we can just find a proper picture if you can just if you Google that. Because this um, was, you know, uh, I just fucking remember getting this. Put thing that on and loving it. Oh, as you put it on, loving this, it so. This reminds me of uh, me being uh, in first grade. Don't pinch, don't hurt yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I've no, just pierced my nipple. It's bleeding. It's bleeding. <laughs> you need to have ice first. Um, <coughs> uh, this reminds me of uh, when I was growing up in New Haven, first grade. I was in St. Michael's Catholic School. And they'd have these activities in the basement of the uh, in the, in like the basement of the gym room. Is it the gym room? No, maybe it was just no. It wasn't the gym. It was just the basement of like the school. And I remember we, they'd have movies, so we'd see like all these different like did those live action Disney movies. They'd show movies. Sure, yeah. And we'd go down. They had Blackstone. Remember the actual Blackstone came to the basement. Oh, yeah, he did yeah. this. He did like he did like his ma- magic show. So it must have been like like a like a regular church basement. We have like a Prometheum stage yeah, yeah. and like you know a seating area and all that. I guess it's an older kind of school. And I remember one year, which was probably yeah, kindergarten or first grade, they had a Halloween party. And, you know, you're bobbing for apples and sure, you're doing yeah. this. This sounds like almost you know? exactly like And I remember was. I was dressed up as the the G.I. Joe. You know, it's one of those things where you get the, um, 
it's the the costume in a bag. Yeah. So like, you got like it's like a smock. Yeah. It's it's like a garbage bag smock of <laughs> yeah. GI Joe. It's just it's just a uniform, and then it's like a the the mat. It's connected to like a the plastic mask. paper mask. Yeah, and it the, just a rubber band on the back. Yeah, and it, it probably isn't even like an official licensed GI Joe. <laughs> and it looked like the GI Joe like the first series. It was bodega. Of, <laughs> yeah, it was bodega GI Joe. Carlos Danger or whatever his name is. You know, Enrique. Uh, you know, uh, Fernando. And um, it's like, and it looks like. My recollection of it, it looks like like rock and roll or one of the really early GI Joes that yeah, like they yeah. didn't have all the joints. Yeah, it's like you know like original Duke. It had kind of a helmet on. They didn't have the swivel arms. Yeah, and it didn't have that the, the jerk off action. We, <laughs> it didn't we have like jerk the, off. We didn't have the jerk off feature <laughs> as we like had, to call it. It just had up and it had the uh, up and down and like the shoulders. Yeah, and. Um, I was that for Christmas, or for Christmas. I was that for Halloween, and then I remember a memory probably of that for Christmas too. Yeah, I kept that. I just slept in that thing, and um, that reminds me of something else funny. How, um, but anyway, but then I remember going home that night, and my my mom and dad were both there, which is odd. And I remember going home that night, and I remember thinking like I was kind of scared because it was dark out. I was thinking Frankenstein may be out, and it was the Frankenstein like that, you know, Boris Karloff's Frankenstein. Yeah, which so we I was kind of scared. Which we talked about last uh, episode. Yeah, last so week. I, 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 yeah, and then Hammer and the, yeah, but it was yeah, exactly. But we talked about like how the iconic the, the, for the eighties, which of, is also going back to the Monster Squad podcast. Yeah. We talked about all this in there, so I was very scared. Like, oh, you know, Frankenstein might be out, so I'm you know I got to watch out with the bolts and all. And I have a memory of like driving home, like thinking like look out the window in downtown New Haven. I wonder if it, do you have Frankenstein? And I wonder if this became a theme for me because then I remember like th- my parents, we went away for a couple days to like the shore in Connecticut and they rented like one of the houses where you, you know, you, you're in walking distance of the beach. And I remember there was like a... There was like a, a special on. I watched Emergency that night. There was a special on for the... They found the Andrea Doria, like a, the, the wreck and there were, you know, there were searching it with a camera maybe because of the the hit of them finding the Titanic and yeah. Robert Ballard finding it and I remember my, my parents are okay go, time to go to bed and the, you know my sister and I were sharing a room that you know we weren't familiar with this cottage and I went into the room and you know we went to bed and I was scared sitting in bed and I was under this little window and we're we're, we're on the uh, we're ground ground floor level yeah, yeah. and I was worried like Frankenstein was outside this window gonna get me so I wonder like what at the time, what was going what on? What was that about Frankenstein? For yeah, or you? Dracula. I wonder what was in the public eye that that you know that in our psyche that would have scared me of Frankenstein or Dracula. But um, it's funny that yeah. So you have these festivals that you go to. You know, yeah. It was like this thing. I remember we drove into downtown Philadelphia to go to it. My mom must have read about it in the paper. Yeah. Or maybe on the local news. Maybe this sounds like if we ever make a horror '80s horror movie, you know, like like a Stranger Things, (laughs) we should have this. You know, the 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 climactic scene. And it wasn't a big room, and I feel like we got there late in the day because it wasn't like that crowded. But they still had some of the gift bags, and I got this sweet werewolf button. Yeah, it's awesome. And when I was walking out the door. Uh, today to come watch this movie and and uh, do this podcast, I was like, you know what? I have the werewolf button. I'm gonna, I'm gonna take and this guy. For is, strength. And this guy is in this movie, so yeah. it's gonna be a perfect opportunity. So steering this, uh, steering the bus. We gotta back get back on, onto the bus, bus and <laughs> start going track. again. Um, so we talked about like this crazy mashup of stuff, the '80s uh, yeah of it. Um, <clears throat> which but is, it, which it is all, like beautiful. It all works, and it's funny because a lot of times I would bet money against it and think like, if you're putting so many references and jokes, this wouldn't work. But it's a testament either to Fred Decker, 
yeah. or his either direction or his storytelling or his editing that all this ends up working so much so that it's like engaging, well, it's funny, and it's not at all hokey or kind of um, I mean, campy. it's a little campy, but, but you're with but it. purposely. Yeah, yeah. Um, because I think what the I think what he does brilliantly is that he takes it seriously. It's not making fun yeah, of fifty not science at all. fiction or 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 be poking fun of the the teen thing that's going on at the time or poking fun at like the Tom Atkins like detective film story type thing. It's it is very much pe- playing uh, paying loving homage to those things. Yeah, and so I think like that's like the brilliantness of it is that it's you know, if you start to if you if you start to I mean obviously it's all done ton, tongue in cheek. Yeah. But if you start using that to get the laughs yeah. in a very in a more overt way, that's when I feel like that movie's the movie's going to run off the rails. But he does like a masterful job of like straddling that line. Yeah, he's really on a tightrope there and he's able to successfully do it. And I think, like, I look so fondly back at, like, even, like, the opening sequence in this movie because I have such a fondness for our parents' childhood of the 50s, which we talk about, you know, a lot of times. (laughs) And recently coming up to this cast, and it's, like, even how, like I said, that the stroll, that song, that saxophone, it's very iconic for the era. Well, I mean, you take a look at, like, Back to the Future. Yeah, you know, the the Penguins doing um, Earth Angel. Like, when I saw that, uh, I remember I used to play... But it's another perfect example of, like, an 80s movie. Yeah. You know, going back to the 50s. 50s. And, like, let's not even talk about the television at the time with Happy Days and Laverne and Shirley. So it's, I think they do it so well. And it's like, I wonder even like, like, you know, I said how there's hints of EC comics in this. Uh, Creepshow had come out like maybe in 82, I think the yeah, original Creepshow. Yeah, like 81 or 82. And um, in one of the stories, the Savini's favorite of it, where you have the, uh, I don't know if it's a Yeti. I think it's a Yeti in a crate. It's funny that that story happens and that Yeti is discovered on a, in a basement on a college campus. <laughs> yeah, so that yeah. it made me, when we were screening this, it's like, who the hell would put an experimental... Yeah, it's like a hyper... You have, you have a, a hyperbaric s- chamber. Yeah, this should be something that would be like on like... Um, they would have. They should have took this and put this on freaking Hangar 18, like out in the desert yeah, somewhere yeah. on Area 51. Instead, they have this like minimal security. No one's watching it. You have this bozo. We said, what's his face? Uh, Pamer. He's he's the one of the young grad student scientists. Keep an eye on this guy. Nobody knows why he's here. Um, what ends up happening is they they they, uh, they want to get the girl, and then they they the the the, the, the uh, fraternity guys say well, you're gonna have to do pledges. Yeah, well, yeah, they and like, the pledges. If, if I can get, we'll, we'll become yeah, we'll become if we become sorority guys, we can get the girls. Yeah, so they go become pledges. And the the, the disabled kid, his he's very uh, it's 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 great how he's so forward and outgoing, and he's yeah. the one who kind of like you know is pushing him to do everything, and he's it's you know it's it's which very we, much against know, type, which we should talk about that relationship, but yeah, you know after this part of um, the so it's just funny that the, that so what they end up doing is that the the uh, as a goof the fraternity guys say go to the I guess morgue or to the to the science building or wherever yeah, the, yeah. those bodies get a, get a cadaver find a cadaver and we want you to drop it I forget on the rival kids uh sorority kids uh lawn in front of their house and that'll be the joke so they go they they go looking around and they stumble into they hit the wrong button they open this you know this uh star trek door (laughs) star trek coded door and they're in this room that looks like right out of a freaking sci-fi movie and then they walk up and they see this kid there and then it's hilarious that they're that the um 
the disabled kid is like, this is, he's cryogenically frozen. Who knows how long he's been here? And then he freaking just opens it. It's like you would think that <laughs> for whatever reason, this could, this, could, this could be, like he said, Walt Disney. This could be a kid waiting to, you know, for a cure for cancer. This could yeah. be, it could be aliens in his fucking head. Who knows? But it's like he's just so, you would think he'd just leave that one alone and just go find a cadaver. But instead he, he and yeah. he opens this kid and then this, he, they basically start this whole fucking, the whole night is caused because of them. You know, in a way, uh, that that thing, that aspect, that convention, that device that he uses in the movie is like a metaphor for this whole movie in that basically what Decker has done, like thematically with this movie, is he took something that he loved from the 50s yeah. and like it's been cryogenically frozen up until like 1986. And now he's like opened it up by making this homage to it, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know? So, like, in a way, he's, like, the movie itself is, is like, that guy stuck in the cryogenic, you know, chamber. And he's unleashing it's it like, onto It's, like, a audience. metaphor for him, like, ta- ripping this the, this love that he has for this for this stuff from 30 years uh, ahead of time and, and, like, unleashing it onto, like, an 80s teen uh, to audience onto Corman University, which you said was you know the Roger Corman yeah. reference, but I mean the movie itself. He's he's yeah, taking yeah. this and, and and doing this fifties nostalgic thing. Um, the race, the relationship between Chris and JC is interesting because, um, you know, most obviously because JC is handicapped, and that's not something that even today you see a whole lot of, but no. especially back then. Yeah. Um, in a way, it's kind of like a ballsy move uh, on Decker's part. I mean, it's definitely like an inventive move, an imaginative move to have something. There is something completely different about that yeah. about that character than any other. You wonder if he had maybe a friend growing <clears throat> up, or he had some sort of basis of reality on that, or you know, I, I, I mean, he may very well yeah. m- might not have, but it's yeah. you know, most likely than not, maybe he had a friend who had you know. But it's also interesting because it also ends up being like an interesting plot device because. Then, like, there's no competition in a way for between Chris and JC. In a way, like, even though wrongfully so, I feel like JC has accepted the fact that like he's not going to get laid because he's handicapped. I mean, he's like he's like a, he's a funny guy. He's not a bad looking guy. He's the, he's the most outgoing of the bunch. <laughs> you I mean, know, so much so he's that like, he's yeah, like definitely like the best personality out of everybody in the movie. Yeah, but like you know, he's but. You know, in the context of the story, he's kind of taken himself out of the equation, so he's kind of living vicariously through Chris. Yeah, and so he's like, "I'm not going to get laid because I'm, not, you know, I'm a cripple or whatever, um, but I'm going to try to get my best friend laid." Yeah. Uh, so in a way, it becomes like an interesting plot choice, like a device, in that now we don't have two guys fighting over a girl like Cynthia, or you know, it becomes a very different dynamic than we would see. Um, it's not like Cary Grant and Jimmy Stewart going at it. Or yeah, right now, or, or you know, we take like a movie that we did really early on. Another movie that I love, like um, Weekend at Bernie's. Oh yeah, yeah. Where it's like then you you know you have that odd couple. Yeah. Like com- comedic duo, like you know, uh, Jonathan Silverman in that movie is very proper and kind of like you, you know yeah, so you frame, and then you got the Andrew McCarthy who's kind who's, of the wild guy. Yeah, but the wild guy here is kind of like the person who has a disability. Yeah. So then you, but then it's, I think the disability in this movie in, empowers him to be the person who you know yeah, he's, he's going to be the voice for JC. He's going to be 
he's going to try to get the, cause he wants to be able to ha- live, like you said, vicariously through him. And, you know, I guess you would think that he shouldn't think that way, but he probably look the odds are at, the, at this time. And, you know, the people aren't going to accept me, you know, it's a, still a very, you know, um, you know, hard time for people like that. So it's, 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 it's an interesting out. And then, it works out to be very telling. There's the scene after all this happens when they get back to his his place. Yeah. They get back to their dorm room and then they kind of have that little spat where yeah. he he it becomes very serious. Which he has mi- that monologue and it's great. Yeah. You know that monologue is very touching where he lays it out for him. He says all that. Look at me. You know well, I do it well, all for you. That's the thing. It's like, and, the, like their relationship it's played is very. It's very well. Their relationship you know, is really the heart of this movie. We have yeah. that scene and then of course we have when we. You know, the rec- tape recorder scene, which is fucking heart-wrenching. Yeah, it's very sad. It's when this movie gets fucking real. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, that scene between them and the thing, I don't, it's, I couldn't help but think about a little movie that you and I started. <laughs> oh, yes, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Where it, was a, it was kind of a loving spoof homage to horror movies. Yeah, and which you, we just talked about uh Two weeks ago on the In the Mouth of Madness podcast, we talked about us doing, you know, home movies growing up. But when you and I ended up being in college, then, you know, we'd be bored on a night. So we ended up just making a couple home movies on campus. And we did like, what did we do? Like a half a dozen movies. Yeah, we did at least three. Yeah. And then three that were like full movies. Yeah. And I think there were other ones where we just shot like stuff that we never finished. And this was the one we're talking about, Twinkle Rainbow, ended up being like the coup de gras that is the most yeah. you know it became huge to the point the, where it was the cult classic <laughs> against your recommendation i screened it on campus for people and people loved it and then for a while later when people coming up to us yeah, like you're the dude from Twinkle <laughs> rainbow <laughs> like we became like no one on campus because i'm i love this but there's a scene in that movie where you and i have a very you know real conversation yeah in the, you know real for the context of the movie yeah where we're in a dorm room basically a dorm room These, on two uh, adjacent beds be, sitting across guy, from yeah. each other yeah it becomes very and hilarious there is a little bit of like you know, a punchline and, and there, but there's also like is a little bit of like the unintentional like homo yeah homoeroticism eroticism like, like we do it on closet thing and there's a little bit of that here too yeah uh, so it's just like he's got a crush on him, JC. Yeah, JC's got a crush on Chris or something. You know, they, I know people have read into that, but there's a little bit of there's a little bit of like them joking around about that. Yeah, um, in the movie. So, which is the time back in the '80s. That's kind of like a you know, I'm not fag or you know what I mean. It's like <laughs> yeah, very yeah. you're macho. You're, you know, you're you're not well, especially like from even, saying for macho for heterosexual guys. That was like the worst. Like, oh, you don't call me you know gay yeah, or whatever yeah. like that. I mean, if you were gay, that's a completely different thing. I mean, like <laughs> yeah, yeah. for people to be you know for two serious it was straight a guys. Time, yeah, you know, and that was it was almost scandalous to be like. But you know, uh, yeah, so that was just funny because watching that now. And obviously, I don't think either one of us thought about that when we did it. No, when I don't we think made that. it in that movie. No, we ended uh, up doing what we ended up doing in the scene, which is pretty funny. Is we're both on we're both on the opposite beds, like much like this movie. So we're leaning back. So we start. We have an argument, and uh, I lean into the camera for my for my single shot, and yeah, I come like make a point. to the foreground, and then. Uh, we cut uh, across Blake's then leans forward I have a his single to make, shot and then I and then I lean forward to make a point and, and we thought it was because it was a joke yeah so we come to the close we come to the two shot and it's profile and then we're like only like two inches apart from each other <laughs> because, because it's such a small room because we both leaned in yeah. and it's so tiny and that for we- people 
for people who were. You and know, I think that's basically where a lot of the, the, the homoerotic is like, why the hell? It's like, why are they talking to each other so, so close? And we, and we, so and we finished the scene like we finished the scene for like two minutes, like the ending scene. But it's the joke of just being the crampedness of those rooms that, you know, yeah, that yeah. you have no room. If in we there. both leaned forward. We're both in each other's faces. <laughs> that, we, that we'd be so close. Yeah. And that was the reveal. And of that was, was the imply, like, why the hell are they so close? So, you know, then it, but it was supposed it, to be that turning reveal on, like, of being kind of like ridiculous. Yeah, but it turns into like it has a whole, like a little homoeroticism <laughs> in it that we didn't, I don't think, even realize until we watched it. No, no. We no. screened it like, Jesus. No, because we thought it would just be funny. Like, if we both lean in in the singles, then yeah. when we cut to the two, we'd be so it's close hilarious. that it would be funny. Yeah, but then we're like, oh, this, this has completely and other said implications. It's just uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then we, so. They, like we said, they're looking for a uh, uh, a cadaver. They unintentionally open this up. We have our man, uh, we said Pamer comes down, um, David Pamer. Uh, he's like, what the hell have you guys done? He gets killed. And then th- the plot starts rolling. And yeah. I, I, I find it very interesting that the zombies, when they get taken over by, especially we take this 50s guy. Yeah. We see at the beginning of the movie, he goes to the sorority house. He's throwing rocks. He's trying to get, he's like, Julie, come on down. Let's go. So cut to now, the zombie who has the, the creeps in him, his first instinct is to go to, to, the sorority house. to the sorority house. It's almost like the concept in Dawn of the Dead, they start to establish, like, why are they coming to the mall? Well, it's a, maybe it's this familiar memory with them. They have yeah. some sort of affinity or affiliation. So you, you extend this, that forward, that, that concept into this movie. It's like why it, – it's interesting that the, these zombies – and there's another example of it later on, I think, when uh, – when David Pamer, the young scientist, uh, grad student, comes back from the dead, and he leaves. Yeah. Doesn't he go somewhere too? He show he walks to some place, and it's uh, I, he leaves the morgue because he's killed. And he goes back to the and he goes back to the science place, yeah. and he gets the he gets the janitor, the Asian janitor. So it's like you know, there's an there's almost like there's a, a mental memory or whatever. And then when the blonde kid, the the head of the the fraternity kids, when the he Bradster. gets the Bradster, when he gets taken, what does he do? He goes over there and too, and he kind of you know he fulfills the role of yeah, getting them. Yeah. So I, I found that interesting. So the ball starts rolling. The creeps they look like little slugs yeah. when they when the head. What happens is the head explodes, which is like yeah, which is interesting it's because terrifying because then it's very Star Trek too. Yeah, Rathacon <laughs> going in your ear. You know that's the whole ingesting. But, but also twenty years after this movie, after uh, Night of the Creeps, uh, James Gunn, who's now like the bee's knees for making Guardians of the Galaxy, made a movie called Slither. Yes, yeah, and that's which kind of is the same. also a lot of fun. But you can tell. Very much an homage to this movie. Oh, and it's this, I've never seen Slither, but it's oh, the same. Oh, you should see it. It's actually, it's a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's got, uh, it's a, Nathan, it's a Nathan comedy? Fillion. Or whatever. I mean, it's a little goofy. Oh, okay. yeah, sure. It's it got a, Michael Rooker in it. I thought it was like a serious movie. That's why maybe I was like, eh, it's a little tongue scary. in No, it's a know? little tongue in cheek. Okay. But it's, you know, it, it's kind of gross. I thought it was and, straight. So that's why scary. It, it's kind of repulsive. To, you think about, you know, you're kind of a Cronenberg guy, but you think yeah. about these kind of things about the body and stuff, and it, that that's always like, you know, Rathacon, like disgusting. Yeah, things. you know. It's creepy. Ear, <laughs> thing going into your ear or like a maggot in your body or a tapeworm in your stomach or whatever the hell, and then you have this where this, like certainly what he says in the tape, he can feel it in his brain. Yeah, yeah. You know, or... Um, I feel like there's a couple movies where you can see things under the skin and they're trying to, maybe it's a hallucination, they're trying to cut it out or something in a lot of horror movies. And uh, that's always, so maybe that's why it's, I never really went towards it. I mean, it is gross. Yeah, well, oh, just Slither first and is, foremost. It is a pretty gross movie. So that's, that starts the ball rolling and then you have like the subplot we get introed back to like um, Tom Atkins. 
Yeah. And Tom Atkins is... Which we need to talk about Atkins, the character. Yeah, well, the first scene we see of him is... Uh, it's a dream sequence, which we don't, we don't realize. Yeah. And it's a complete play on, which I don't think I've ever realized before, is Jaws. Yeah, well, Jaws is Fred Decker's favorite movie of all time. Oh, okay. Which Jaws was a lot of people, especially of that generation yeah. and a little bit younger and older was like, you know, that's the movie that made a lot of these people want to make movies. Yeah. Jaws. It's like, look what this young filmmaker <laughs> was able to do with Spielberg. Maybe I can do it. Plus it's a great movie and, yeah. you know, all the implications of it. So it is like the standard. Sure. And it has that, it's that very famous scene where Shider's uh, sitting on the um, beach looking at the water and then there's the... People are walking by. It's the Hitchcock-esque cutting of like <laughs> um, the jump cuts of like someone would walk by and then all of a sudden you're in a close-up or you're yeah, in a yeah. medium shot and same thing with the reverse on the beach or uh, looking down at the water. And this is what happens here where he's kind of like, um, and it's, it's a beautiful <clears throat> transition of events where it's him sitting on a, on a, you know, first you don't realize it's just, oh, he's dreaming of like paradise and he's sitting yeah, there yeah. drinking like a, like a cocktail on a beach with like a, a str- like a, uh, an umbrella in the cocktail and there's gorgeous, you know, like very much like uh Van Halen-esque, you know, yeah. like video old, women's. Like, it feels very much like a beer commercial from Yeah, the you know, with the, you, you know, gorgeous women who you only see like them from the thigh down and they're in those, they have like bikinis on with a very high, yeah. so you can see the whole thigh and they're in like, maybe even like, I think they're in heels and they're walking by and then it starts cutting and he's seeing stuff. He sees his girlfriend and she she's coming out of the water and it's very, they do it backwards yeah, so that she's not wet when she comes out and then all of a sudden from... As it gets closer, he he's looking at her. It turns, and he's not holding the drink anymore. He's holding it, her, her arm, and we don't realize why. And then it gets to the to, then he suddenly then doesn't his outfit even change, and he's back to being a beat cop. And yeah, he's, he's got the shotgun, and then suddenly the even the scene changes, and he's he's at that night. He's yeah. Tom Atkins now, growing up in the beat cop outfit with a shotgun at the night of the flashback, where he's coming across uh, the escape lunatic hacking to death his girlfriend in the convertible yeah and then it's like and then that's something too that you know you end up what he he has like a dirty secret too yeah that we don't learn about until a little later on in the movie yeah there's a lot to talk about with his relationship and stuff so we should probably just blow through die, this die, yeah blow right through it because yeah. it's getting late um one <clears throat> great character i mean he's you know even his wardrobe like he shows up at the lab with you know, like the classic, like detective raincoat. Yeah, but he's got a Hawaiian shirt underneath it. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, always smoking a cigarette. He's got the great lines like "Thrill me." Um, and then he always has this. Like, uh, what's his name in the movie? Uh, Cameron. He's like Detective Cameron. He's like no. Mickey Mouse. <laughs> you know, he, he says that a couple times. No, I'm Tweedledee. You know, <laughs> and he calls uh, he calls Chris and JC like uh, Spanky and Alpha Alpha or yeah. something like that. And um, you know, here's a here's another instance where like that character could have like played so goofy or poorly, but in the hands of Tom Atkins, he's fucking awesome. Yeah, and we've established before on this cast that if uh, anybody. <laughs> <laughs> is is kind of worried about being leading man material in a movie. Tom Atkins <laughs> proves that any man could be leading man material, and it's just a testament of how good of an actor he is. I mean, he's an amazing character actor, you yeah. know. Well, for instance, you take a okay. The end of the movie, we flash forward, we figure out what's going on. You got the creep. Also, a connection to Creep Show. He plays the wraparound, the beginning and end. I forgot about that. You know, he plays the father. 
I mean, Van Atkins. A mustacheless Tom Atkins, yeah. which I don't trust a mustacheless Tom Atkins. <laughs> you don't trust him in the fog? I don't trust him in the fog. I don't trust him in the in the wraparounds of the Korea. It's like Alex Trebek. I don't trust a, ma- a mustacheless Alex Trebek. And, uh, of course, we did for uh, Halloween 3. It was yep. our first Halloween cast yep. for our first year. Season but, of the Witch. Um, we flashed for all the way forward. He's developed a friendship with Chris, the character of Chris. Yeah. Um but for instance, in terms of like the character Chris, the character Chris Romero, yeah. okay, um, played by Jason Lively, yeah, who coincidentally is the stepbrother of Blake Lively, the actress, who's kind of a hot thing right now, yeah. Um, but in terms of like, you know, just to show you the kind of like gravitas that Tom Atkins brings to this movie, the line where he goes to shoot one of the zombies in the fr- in the fraternity and the sorority house scene. And he says Miller time. It's Miller time. Yeah. Like that is that is a spoof. That is a joke on like the all the Schwarzenegger, you know, like the you say something funny and you shoot the guy. Yeah. Or like, you know, stick around, Bennett. <laughs> and and like that kind of stuff. It was written to be kind of like this goofy joke. Yeah. And it is funny that he says it. But like in the mouth of Tom coming out of the mouth of Tom Atkins, it's just kind of awesome. But it plays <laughs> even it plays straight. Even though great. It, even though it makes no sense. Yeah. Like Miller Time, it's not that's not, that's not Miller Time. Miller Time is like when yeah. all this shit is over is Miller Time. You know, yeah. you crack it open at the end of the of the work day. It's not in the middle of the shit. Yeah, it is, <laughs> so it's just it's well it, there's a lot of things in here that's perplexing that his character does, but that's what the hilarity of it all. Like but I it's just like just so sure like how great he is that like in any other anybody in anybody else's hands yeah except maybe Ernest Borgnine that kind of stuff might not very well couldn't work no I think if if you had a lesser caliber actor that this the whole movie would have flopped and he he certainly anchors the movie and this he has said that this is his favorite movie yeah this is supposedly his favorite movie that he's done and um his character is just so awesome and there's so much going on with like he he is um He's sitting like in his house, and he's like, if, if it's been th- not thirty years, it'd have been eighty nine. So fifty nine to eighty six, it's what that's twenty seven years since his girlfriend's died. He's got like the original crime scene photos, so it's yeah, like yeah. Th- that mean for twenty seven years he's been <laughs> looking at the you know the chopped up, you know. Yeah, man, this is funny. and it's hilarious. This is, this is a dark shit because when he then he he explains just like you want to hear about fucked up things that happened to you about your girlfriend. Now I'll tell you a story about fucked up. And he tells yeah, yeah. a story about well, I uh. <laughs> well, here's the thing. It's like the whole. Th- I think what it's interesting that there's like this reveal because I think the whole time we're thinking that he's an alcoholic and he's all fucked up because he got there too late. Yeah, to which save, is to sure, which is part half of it. Of it. But the, there's a whole other half of it. Yeah, which you don't realize, and it's and it's hilarious when he starts. Uh, I don't know why he ends up just he start maybe because I, I think maybe because later on he doesn't expect to survive the night, yeah. but he starts to confess to the two of them. And, and what is he? There's a line. There's a great line when he starts confessing. The, there's one line he gives. He says a word, and it's just how he says it, and it's amazing. And he's like, "Yeah, I, uh, you know, I killed him." <laughs> you know, he says it something like that, and it's just you could tell it's just he probably did it on his own. It's that take, yeah. and it was great. But then they're like, "Should you be telling us this?" And he keeps going. And what that ended up happening is that he stumbled across the. Um, so the the second half of his story, his guilt or whatever, the thing that plagues him is this is like the the first part is that he he didn't he he didn't get there in time to save his girl. Yeah, he told his girlfriend to take off, and then maybe that could have. 
for who knows, because of fates, that could have put her in the place that she ended up getting killed. Then when he showed up, maybe he was passing because they were coming on their way down. He finds the uh, escaped um, uh, mental uh, patient uh, is hacking her to death. So he had a uh, his 12-gauge shotgun, so he, he killed the guy, right, without even saying anything. So he must have then, from there, before anybody else arrived, took the body, put it in his car, and I don't know why he brought it to the sorority house, and he ends up burying it in the backyard of the sorority house, and it looked like a storm or something, like in the flashbacks. Yeah, yeah. He buries it there, thinking that no one will ever find that this guy, this mental, because supposedly the, the mental patient vanished, and then that's what people are like. You think it's him again? You know, like he's come back from the dead because of the murder. There's a murder yeah, that yeah. happened with the split axe to the head or whatever it was. Yeah, you know, it's a tricky thing because in his dream, it's like we he we get the sense that he shot him there. But I kind of feel like when he's telling Chris the story, it's like he then hunted him down and killed him. Yeah. I could be mistaken. But there's something. But anyway, he, so he ba- basically ends up like murdering the, the killer. Because he's in a fit of rage and he's not at and all. And buries him in, in the, in like you said, like in the backyard of the sorority But I house. get no impression that he's in any way uh, remorseful or he, he's, he's just happy he's, he did I it. just think he's all fucked up. Yeah, he's awful. And I think the reason why he ends up. He's all messed up. He's all messed up. <laughs> the, 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 the reason why he ends up um, justifying himself confessing this to him, because later on in the movie, before he realizes shit's going down, when they come to his house to ask him for help, you don't realize this, and it, it's like one of the best things for me in the movie, which I didn't realize until I think, uh, I don't yeah. know, a, a couple years ago. He's sitting in his house, and he's... And he's uh, He's playing. He's he's playing with his lighter, but he hasn't lit it yet. Well, there's something. And he's looking at it. Well, something important happens before that that I think leads to this, which is that the the guy's resurrected. Yeah, but he doesn't know that though. That doesn't happen before this. Is that what it is? I thought that that's when he. I thought that's when he he goes. He follow. He's like, we need your help, and because no, because when he with the scene you're talking about is Chris comes back to, to him and says, JC died. Uh, and then that's when it's like, okay, let's get into action. But I think, to my recollection, okay, that that puts that it, it's that like brings it all because the shit's going down with the with the with the with the creeps, and then he One sees of the, the sorority. Ha- he sees the woman's the den mother's house. Yeah, and they're like, why and is that like, house there? And that's and it's built upon where he buried the body, so she's living on top of it. And we saw all these creeps before. Because the original 50s guy walked back to the sorority house. His head exploded and all these creeps went everywhere into the basement, whatever. And coincidentally, they have brains. There's, you know, because of a science experiment, they're hiding in jars, brains, storing them for the weekend in the basement. So this creep's gone everywhere. So it's hilarious that you have this little, um, this old lady's watching TV. She's watching Planet Nine from Outer Space, another homage. And you hear this banging and the dog's like, you know. And this poor dog, because, you know, I think this dog's on set and this dog's like, what the f- <laughs> dog's you know, great in this movie. Yeah, the though. dog and the cat, both of them. And, um, and it's hilarious that, like, then it, it you know, she ha- she's in shock and he comes out and it's, it's just pure, like, cinema gold, this freaking, you know, axe coming out of the floor and then it comes up and it comes out and it's this, you know, this rotting corpse. Yeah, because, which is beautiful effect. Yeah, because it's been re- and it's justified because it's been reanimated by this creep and it kills the woman and then it. I guess it doesn't kill the dog. The creep the dog. I've heard people complain that like it doesn't make sense. Like, why did it become reanimated now? But like you said, it becomes reanimated now because the creep, because the creeps from the sorority house, they you know they scurry yeah, and through they the found yard. a body and they found a body. Maybe they can smell 
dead bodies. Like, or I don't think you need to show. You know, yeah, it it's happening. all implied. I think it's implied. Yeah. I get it. And then it starts walking down the street. And, and then so the cops come. Come, uh, Robert Kerman, our, our porn actor, comes, and they see the they are, they're almost killed by the thing, and then they chase it, and then he gets a call, and is, doesn't well, we've got it. Yeah, and he he takes the Studebaker. They they go to an alley, and then it's yeah. They all shoot him, and then it's like I killed you. Doesn't he say it? maybe yeah, that to yeah. him? Well, that's I think that's the moment where he really snaps, and he's kind of crazy for the rest of the movie. Yeah. So the part I'm talking about, fast forward, is that that he's sitting in his house, and he's playing with his lighter, and then you know he's about to light the lighter, and he even has his record player on, and I think he's playing like he may even be playing the the stroll, or he's playing one yeah. of those fifty songs. And it's on repeat, and then he hears a knocking at the door. It's bang, bang, bang. He's like, ah. Oh. So he gets up, and you look, and he, and you don't realize like the, the door has uh, duct tape all over the the the, um, the corners. Like it's almost yeah. like he like you know he sealed it. He sealed. He rips the duct tape off, and he's like, "What do you want?" And like you know, and, and and what you said, like you, you gotta know, go. And he's like, "Alfalfa died or something." He's like, like, that. All, right, it's like all of a sudden, it becomes like this. You know, it's a really heavy moment, you know. He's like, all right, let's go. Let's get it. So he gets his shotgun. He's like, you know, he's, he gets suited up and he's like, gives the kid the revolver. And he, he and then he, and then they're like, we got to go to the, the police station. And then he, he, when he's done, he like opens all the windows and he walks over to the oven and he, he shuts the oven. He has the oven doors open. He shuts the oven door. He turns all the gas off. So he was, he was, <laughs> he was going to sit there and kill him. He was just going to turn yeah. the ladder on and get the Zippo and then it would have blew the house up. Uh, which is it's like it's and it, if you don't if you're not paying attention you might not get that yeah you know, I mean it's a I mean it's a really it's like a brilliant yeah moment. you know it and says so basically so much without any dialogue uh, what's his face is um you know has stopped his suicide and the next stop is they uh well then in between that we had our um what's his face the the uh, disabled kid he went down. Yeah, he, I well, forget. that's the other like the real sad moment. Yeah, he he basically gets, he gets stuck in the um, he goes he leaves Chris and Cynthia alone because he wants Chris to get laid, and then he goes to like, the basement, the, the, and then we have to the, a bathroom. And the and Asian we, janitor who had been killed by um, David Palmer's body, who came back to the to the to the lab, he's infected. He walks into the bathroom, his ex- head explodes, and he and and our disabled kid stuck in the bathroom with all these creeps running around, and that's where we have the little uh, graffiti uh, Monster Squad yeah, yeah. rules. And then he discover- um, and he discovers by throwing like a matchbook. I don't know why floor. I thought he would. I th- I thought he was gonna like try to like turn on one of the you know turn the sprinkler yeah. system on, but he threw it on the floor and it worked. And then one of the creeps gets in his mouth, I guess. And then and we discover that the, the heat kills the creeps. One of the creeps gets in his mouth, and then just as. Uh, Chris is getting ready. She, he gets asked to some formal or something by Cynthia. So he runs a talks. He's getting ready. And he's like, hey, anybody see JC? He didn't come home last night. And he finds um, the tape recorder. Yeah. And then he turns it on and it's just, it's just and basic. It's just like this heart wrenching. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, confessional kind of message. Like an old bit. Like, for, like a for Chris, that's very much. Um, you know, it reminds me of the thing a little bit where it's like McCready sitting oh, there yeah, drinking we the J and B and he's uh, like, We don't know who to trust anymore. <laughs> There's no one to trust. We have noticed yeah, and he reminds it. And we don't know why he tapes over it. <laughs> yeah, I guess he just I don't know. He doesn't want I don't know. know. But so it's like he'd get then he's like And he sounds different on it. He says like it's I you know, it's I got one of them inside of me and he says like, you know, my I'm not breathing and my heart stopped. I can feel it in my brain. Yeah. I think he even says that like he can walk. Yeah, he, he said yeah. I walked I walked on my own, you know. So yeah, it's almost yeah. like you know, just like it's a, it's a, that's such a like an amazing yeah. Because he's never thing, been able to. He's but like, I walked on my own. 
you know. But it's also fucking crazy tragic. Because, yeah, because he's dead, and then he's, and then I guess there's, so there must be an incubation period for regular people getting yeah, it yeah. because he has it. Because so, then later on, it's always like in the show Walking Dead, they always take their time. Sometimes the zombies turn quick, sometimes they take their time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And it's like with uh, the Bradster, Bradster comes like this, but then we have, you know, what's his face is the wherewithal to get home, tape record himself, and then he tells them like they, they're, uh, you know, flame, heat kills him. You yeah. got to get him with heat. I'm going down to the furnace room. And then he runs down to the furnace room, JC, and he finds the body down there. So Chris, I thought, Chris. JC's the the one who ran, who taped, made the tape. Oh, okay. I, I thought he was going down to like circa Return of the Living Dead, put himself into the, yeah, yeah. the cremation. That's kind of what I thought too. But I guess he just went down there and then the Or heat, he collapsed before. Yeah, and then the, the heat just, when his body, his head exploded, the heat just fried him maybe because it was so yeah. hot down so there. So he finds him dead on the floor. Yeah, with like some some of the creeps on that the are floor. dissolved or they've, they've, it's almost like when you put like salt on a slug, they've kind of like. So I mean in the midst of all this like wacky. And that's the next stop. Tongue in cheek and nostalgia. Yeah, because the, then he goes to Atkins' house and then we have that scene that Dan was just talking about but this is like it's so great that like in the middle in the middle of like all this like wacky stuff and all these this mashup nostalgia fun like i said very much tongue-in-cheek you get like these kind of serious moments like the fucked up like tom atkins thing and um the tape recorder stuff and then you said like and then after that the reveal of Tom Atkins was going to kill himself and but you know um, we it's like it, it really like then it really like you know anchors this movie in, yeah in a way it's one of those another one of those things why I feel like it why it never flies off the rails and turns and, completely and, and on its side too goofy yeah it's because we have these little things that every once in a while like we're reminded like oh yeah like this well it's a, it's a testament to this it's a testament to how you don't realize how horror and comedy say are, are so intertwined or even comedy where I can cite there's a great for people who had seen the original uh, uh, Ricky Gervais's office where it's only I think two seasons six, six episodes a piece half hour the he ends he ends it only two seasons in you know because yeah. he, he said I don't want it to turn into the Simpsons where it gets stupid I'm going to end it on a high note yeah. and like at the end of the, spoiler alert, I, I think it's how the American, I never watched the American version, but at the end of it, they end up firing Ricky Gervais. And the last scene is them firing him. And all of a sudden, he's like, please don't fire me, please. You know, I'll do whatever. And it becomes very serious. And you're like, yeah. oh my God. And suddenly, it's no longer a comedy. You like feel for these people. And you're like, oh my God, he's going to get fired. That's terrible. Yeah, you know, yeah. he's a fucking idiot, but he doesn't deserve to be fired. And it's like much yeah. like this, where it's like you can have a great comedy, but then if a comedy's good, any second it can turn it slightly askew and it can get serious, and then it's heartbreaking. Yeah. Because yeah. you're laughing with these people, so you have your guard down, and then so it's like this, yeah. where it's it's fun, but then the, the two scenes where uh, JC ends up confessing to him about you know uh, when they're in the bed together. Yeah. He's, you know, and then this scene here with the uh, with the tape recorder, uh, yeah. you know, and I, you know, I think I saw totally, and uh, but I also think like the idea of killing JC off is another one of those like we'll kill off, you know, if we kill off one of our main characters, one it'll have a little more impact for the audience. Two, you know, it's like that Hitchcock, and then of course Josh Sweden does it like all the time. It's like anybody's. You know, fair game. Yeah, at this yeah. point, hence like uh, they do that in Walking Dead as well. Yeah, anybody can die, or, or even Game of Thrones does that. Yeah, yeah. Well, you don't know, uh, you know, uh, and then we get the then we have the whole 
I guess you can kind of call it a third act where he just then the story starts going and then it's just um you know Atkins is involved he's like let's get over there and then at the same time um they're going to whatever dance that everyone's getting ready for there's a great little um uh, I want to mention the montage there <laughs> a, no but it's a really great 80s like yeah. it's like the music is awesome the montage is really good they're, it's like the it's the dudes getting ready and the girls getting ready in their separate respects for the night of going to whatever yeah. the um the, like the Sadie Hawkins dance yeah, or the prom whatever, whatever and it's the to. formal and it's hilarious from the different vantage points you see the guys pre-gaming fucking around shaving the girls getting ready putting their makeup and it's all very much uh, the ritual aspects of like you know it's all emphasized on the lipstick coming out and the yeah, yeah. extreme close-ups of the girls putting on the lipstick or the guy shaving in the bathroom having horsing around in the shower we, we see tits in that yeah, scene we get a little 80s we, yeah we get some great boobage there you know them you know getting ready so I love that and then that montage ends and it's like like the boys have hired very being very responsible they hired a, a big bus to take them over to the thing and they're getting they're drinking on the bus they get on the bus and they start going over to the sorority house and the bus driver's looking away telling them to settle down looks back and he sees the dog yeah which we i don't know if we realized by then is a zombie dog uh, and he swerves, and then there's a, um, and then there's a really quick, funny where it's like there's a there's a pickup truck there, and then there's like a only like a frame or two of the pickup driver's eyes like bulge out of his head. Yeah, like, oh! yeah. Well, that's you know it's funny you bring up that part because I and, and then the, the the bus and the pickup truck ex- crash, and then that's the next you know. But you know that's that shot right there. I was I watched in preparation for this. I was watching like people reviewing this on YouTube. Yeah, and I, I found that many people that review stuff on YouTube just kind of spend 12 minutes telling you exactly what happened and then like then you know just describing the plot and then one minute telling you what they think about it um well they have no frame of reference but in this you know but in this particular case he's talking about that that shot and he's like I don't understand like was it supposed to be like a Looney Tunes cartoon it is so clearly an homage to uh, Mad Max George Miller's yeah. Mad Max where there's there's got to be a collision and they had this fake head and they squeezed it and the eyes popped out a little bit and it's, you only get this split second of like the eyes bulging up it's like it's so uh, I mean the quality of the dummy because here it's just like balloon eyes so they kind of get like clear you know a little bit clear like a bol- like balloons do when yeah. they get stretched uh, but it's it's like almost frame perfect to the Mad Max uh, shot so it was a little shout out so all these shout outs that you got the jaws thing um you know all these little nods to all these great things and so that's definitely like decker's yeah like nod to, to the mad max i found that when i was doing i think we were going to do the dirty harry podcast and i was online reading or trying to find stuff and i think it was somebody brought up like you know they they, they were going to cast frank sinatra and 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 Clint Eastwood's rolling. Who the hell? Frank Sinatra is a singer. How the hell can he <laughs> act? And it's like you're a fucking idiot. And you know, it's like you don't even have a frame reference of Sinatra won a fucking Oscar. You know, yeah. he's a great actor. You know, um, so getting on this, so they they end up crashing, and uh, there's there's creeps everywhere because of the dog. And then moments later, they, it, just as you need, you need zombies. The outcome of of the of the broken uh, bus, zombies start walking over. Yeah. Uh, I might be. That might be jumping ahead of myself there, but then you have cut to Tom Atkins and um, what's his face? Uh, Chris. Chris. They they end up going to the police station and they meet up with our old man Dick Miller. Dick Miller. Dick Miller gets a little cameo in here who we absolutely, another, like you're saying, uh, 
uh, um, homage to Corman, homage to Terminator, homage to Gremlins. He's like, almost playing the same exact character in every movie. He does Terminator, yeah, but especially oh, yeah, Terminator. Terminator, yeah. And he's like, and it's hilarious. Like he's like, I need a, uh, I need a flamethrower. Oh, you need a flamethrower. And he goes over and he, he has, I have a flamethrower. <laughs> yeah, it's, well, I think that's you know, also like another little oh, like, homage of, of like a fifties. Yeah, of course. Like, oh, yeah, we got that. Yeah, and but also the kind of here's the brilliance of like the two actors. You, you, know? you have paperwork on that? No, I don't have. <laughs> No, well, here's the, well, here's the thing, Way. Uh, well, I, I, I don't have the paperwork. Um, but here's, like, the brilliance of those two guys. Like, you totally buy, the minute they walk in and they look at each other, and they oh, start, yeah. you buy that these guys have a history together. Like, they've been, they've both been in the force, yeah. you know, forever. And, and they, I'm sure that, that scene with Dick Miller took, like, not even an afternoon. Probably yeah, yeah. took, like, you know, three hours to do, <laughs> you know, with the setups, you know? <laughs> oh, yeah, I got the, uh, got, I got an idea. But you got to watch the pile light when it goes <laughs> out. You know, it's a little iffy. Uh, and it's it's freaking hilarious. And then, so then they have a flamethrower. So then they end up getting, t- they they, yeah. they run to the sorority house. You know, before we watched it this time, I had completely forgotten that Dick Miller had that little cameo. In yeah, them. it's brilliant. And they then, so, so they rush over. Atkins and um, Chris run over to the sorority house, grab the girls, and they're like, uh, you know, getting ready. And then all of a sudden, you look down the hall or down the road, you see the um, zombie boyfriend's coming up. And he, there's that great line that uh, Atkins has again. You know, he goes, he, what does he say? I got good news and I got bad news for you. You know, good <laughs> news is your date's here. Bad news is they're well, what's, dead. What's the bad news? Yeah. They're dead. Yeah. And then you have the whole climactic scene where they now end here's, up there's fighting a little, everything off. Now, there's a little bit of internet controversy that I've that we've discovered with these zombies. Yeah. Is that... Uh, great uh, special effects guy, David B. Miller, lots of Millers that we're talking about in the last five minutes, George Miller's Mad Max, Dick Miller, David B. Miller, special effects supervisor of this movie. Um, he worked on Terminator. He did Swamp Thing, Beastmaster. He worked on the, the Thriller video. Uh, Dreamscape, one of your favorites. Love Dreamscape. He worked on a couple of the Nightmare on Elm Street movies, Night or Comet in the 80s. Friday the 13th, The New Beginning. Worked on all kinds of great stuff. I, you know, a lot of these special effects guys are, are sleepover gold. Now, he hired for this um, some of the some guys that would go on to kind of great, you know, special effects fame, like Howard Berger and Robert Kurtzman, who are, you know, both the K, Kurtzman, and the Berger in K&B Studios, uh, K&B Special Effects. And so in researching... In K&B- Special effects now does everything, right? Oh yeah, they've done. They've got their hands in almost everything, and and then the N in that Nicotero, he does. You know, he directs and produces all the Walking Dead. Now you can spot uh, Kurtzman and Berger really easily as frat guys, and then as zombies because this was like you know we're paying these guys to be here anyway. So oh, this like, is one of them the one with the mullet. Yeah, yeah. Because I both, saw they, they kept he kept showing up. They, like, <laughs> they both had mullets, yeah. mullets back then, and so like they were like, well, why would we pay extras to come in and get a life cast? These guys we're paying them anyway. Just have them do their own makeup, and they can be these guys. Now, all over online, it says that Howard Berger and and Greg Nicotero play zombies. Yeah, in the uh, thing they commented. Yeah. Um, I know that Kurtzman does, and nobody ever, and none of these things that say that Nicotero does mention Kurtzman. Um, so, but according to IMDb, they have Nick, uh, Nicotero. Uh, they 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 cite um, 
Howard Berger and Greg Nicotero being zombie extras. So now it's a little I think, controversial. So it's a little bit of a contention there. Now, like, I don't personally don't remember seeing Nicotero. I'm not saying he's not in it. So we need Mr. Nicotero to contact <laughs> Saturday Movie Sleepovers but and I do set know, the record straight. But I do know that Kurtzman is in it. So I wonder if people kind of just got confused that Kurt then mistaken had mistaken Kurtzman for Nicotero. I'm or Nicotarian for Kurtzman. Yeah. Um, so. Uh, we need it, to have this sorted ASAP. So at least two of the K&B guys did special effects on this movie working for uh, David Miller and are, and play zombies and frat guys in the movie. Yeah. If not three, because I know that Berger and Kurtzman are in it. It's this Nicotero that's a, that's a wild card. So we end up having the finale. They give the... Um What's her face? The love interest, the flamethrower. Yeah, this yeah. is how you work it. Which is like a brilliant. She goes from being like the '80s scream queen, sorority, or the, you know, heroine girl, victim, victim, to now being like the '80s hero. Yeah, the Sigourney. And Weaver. so does Chris in a lot of ways. Yeah, he goes from being like he's too shy to even talk to her to now like embodying the Tom Atkins. Yeah. Part like get out of here, get out of here. Yeah, he takes control. Now. Yeah, you yeah. everyone gonna leave, and then it's like even I like when uh, Atkins gets surrounded, and you have that little montage of him. They get stuck outside, uh, the two kids, and he's inside the house, and they, they do this great little, you know, uh, effect where he's like on a like he's, uh, he's on, on, on a platform with a camera, and he goes around. It's great. You know, he's killing everybody. He doesn't think he's gonna get out of there. Great, great scene. Great, amazing scene. Atkins is so great in that scene. And then you have a scene that. We come to find out that um, wasn't shot until after the movie wrapped, and they shot principal photography, and then they they showed a rough cut to an, a test audience, and they some of the people in the test audience thought that the picture needed a little more action, so they went back and they ended up reshooting. They added this sequence where they're outside of the tool shed, yeah, and there's a tool shed sequence where they're uh, they get you know her flamethrower isn't working anymore. They run into a tool shed to hide because they're getting surrounded. Just a couple of zombies break in, and then at the end they get it, and then they they use a freaking lawnmower and they lawnmower the crap. Which out of I somebody. wonder if Peter Jackson consciously. Well, kind of gave a nod to with Dead Alive with the lawnmower stuff. Very or much could have. For was just coincidence. You know, because this very much lives within that Peter Jackson oh, totally. world. So, you know, when he went on to do that in the late 80s, he could have. So we have that. And then it ends up culminating with the end of the movie where um, I don't think we've, we've we've for better or for worse, skipped anything. And then, you know, um, it ends up being like uh, she tells him, oh, the shit, there's brains downstairs. And he tells everybody to get out of the house. Yeah, yeah. They run down to the basement trying to find And you see Atkins is already in the basement. He's got gaff tape over his, not gaff tape, he's got duct tape over his mouth. He's like, get out. Yeah, and, he, yeah. and, he, and he's, he's uh, and in the corner of the room, there's all these beautiful uh, stop motion freaking. Yeah, uh, yeah, like little animated. Um, free, it's a creeps that are like, you know, freaking Wall 10 creeps. feet high. And uh, they run. He, well, he's he's like, you gotta get out of here. And he's like, no, no, we're not gonna leave you. Kind of, you know, a little bit of a moment. Yeah. And then he starts counting very long. Says, count. Yeah. He said he starts counting, and so Chris goes to leave, and he gives and he winks at him. Yeah. And it's you know, They're, very telling. I mean, it's it's a very like one in this very short time he's developed an affection for this character. Two. You know, he's, I think he's very much like, you got to save the girl, and I didn't. You know, like, you got to do what I didn't get to do. Yeah. Uh, like, you, and, you know, like, I didn't save the girl that I love. But he's redeeming himself here. And now, you, you, know, you know, like, good for you. It's, I think it's a nod of, like, the two r- romantics, you know, the two people that, you know, have 
you know, had love. And he's like, give him his love like, lost. And yeah, then yeah. His, and he's you know, like, you know, it's like, good for you, kid. You got the girl. You saved her. And also because now let of, me do this for you. <laughs> because of Atkins, he's he's gotten the the balls or he's broken out of his skin, you know, and yeah, he, yeah. or it's not his skin. He's he's kind of shed his skin and broken out of his shell, and it now has this kind of command of being able to, you know, um, yeah, you know, now be the assertive person in this. But I actually found the him winking at Chris in that moment, like actually very moving. Yeah. Um, another one of those great little things in the movie that just like weighs, you know, keeps it anchored in, in you know, with some kind of depth and, and, and reality in a certain way where it could, like we said many times, could, this movie could fly off the rails at a, at a drop of a hat, but it always has these little serious moments. Yeah. So he ends up dropping kerosene or gasoline all over the place. Uh, you know, he even catches one of the things going to his mouth. He's like, not yet. And then, you know, and then he, <laughs> you mother, <laughs> yeah, he, he puts a cigarette in his mouth. He counts the one. He lights a cigarette. The whole place blows up. Yeah. Well, you know, they, they're counting simultaneously. Yeah. And luckily they're and, on count. And it's a long count. Yeah. Chris gets outside and he turns around and now he has, you know, he has the persona of, of, of Cameron. Yeah. Detective Cameron. Dude, he looks at Atkins. the, and he looks at the house and he goes, thrill me. And it blows. It blows up. right up. And uh, then the last scene, now this is when we get to the end of the podcast, but this is the end of the this this very weird scene here where we have uh, the theatrical ending for it. The theatrical ending versus is the alternate ending, which is, the is, original now, ending. which is now the director's cut ending. Which was also the television ending. Which was also the television ending. And it's the theatrical. We, we're bookending. Yeah, we're bookending <laughs> with this. The theatrical ending is the two of them embrace... Uh, Chris yeah. and the girl, Cynthia and Chris. They, you know, they're safe. Share a moment. They share a moment. And the, then you, the dog. The people are crowded around. The ambulance comes. Yada yada yada. And then she, uh, she sees the dog, and she's like, "Oh, look, dog's here." And she go, kneels down, gets closer to the dog, and we see the dog from before. A zombie dog. Dog opens his mouth, and a and a creep and a goes creep out. Creep flies at the camera, and that's the end of black. It. And that's the end of that. And that's the theatrical cut. Now, the original cut, aka the te- television cut, aka the now the new du- director's cut yeah is that we they they kiss they, they kiss embrace. they share the moment people around them da, 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 and then it cuts to like a block away yeah <laughs> and you see someone shuffling away and as you get closer you realize that they're completely uh a, a crisp yeah it's cut blackened tom, yeah it's tom atkins has made it out of the fire somehow yeah and he's completely burnt, burnt to a crisp yeah third fourth degree burns he's still got a cigarette in his mouth <laughs> And he's, he's just he's just barely you know struggling along, gets to a point, stops. Does he even? Does he try to light a cigarette or does he do something with the cigarette? I don't think so. I think he just falls forward. He has a cigarette. He falls forward. As he falls forward, his head explodes, and all these creeps pop out of his head, and it yeah. leads you to believe that. I mean, both endings kind of serve the same purpose, but yeah, yeah. the creeps have gotten out for the basement, and then you see them. His he falls, head explodes. They creep away, and you see him go, and then it pans up, and you see it's a cemetery, and it says like uh, you yeah, know you see the Corman Woods Cemetery or something. Cemetery, and then you see it rises over, and you see like there's a whole uh, landscape of like beautiful mausoleums, miniature, and, yeah, uh, beautiful like Return of Living Dead painting with miniature cemetery. of like the uh, moonlight night on the cemetery on the on like the her- on the landscape of the cemetery, and all of a sudden these spotlights come on. And they're looking around, turns off, looks around again, and then overhead comes the this big spaceship, which yeah. is the spaceship from the beginning of the movie. Yeah, but they're third like they're almost thirty years too late here. Yeah, so it's like the, the the space yeah, they must have tracked it down, took them thirty years and now they're looking and they must maybe they can 
I don't know if they can home, hone in on it. They know where it is. Yeah. Who the hell knows? Whatever. And that's kind of how it ends. That 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 the creeps are going to a cemetery. So who knows how many more zombies they can procure, and that the aliens are hot on their trail. And that's kind of the end of it. Um, let's see. They shot a lot of the. Uh, there was an old Woolworths department store. That, that went out of business and they converted it into a makeshift studio so they shot a lot of it on on the old world yeah Worth some of it set. they didn't even have to redo like the interrogation scene that was just in an office but other than that they built sets in uh in the Woolworths. um it was like a three-story building yeah and then that's the deleted scene so um the rest of it sorority row and fraternity row or whatever the, that was shot at usc decker went to ucla but they shot it over at USC. Um, Soundtrack by Barry DeVazin. Now, yeah. Now, uh, now, how do we know Barry DeVazin? <laughs> Barry DeVorzan. Uh, De as or I De always say. Uh, he's a classic. Yeah. I, um, and I actually think his score for this is pretty great. Now, he did a movie that, that I don't think we've ever discussed. I think it would be way up your alley. It's a movie I like a lot. Rolling Thunder oh. with William Devane and Tom... Uh, oh, oh, Tommy Lee Jones, that crazy Lee movie? <laughs> I, yeah, I know. That's on YouTube if anybody doesn't. That's a crazy movie. And he did Mr. Did the music for Mr. Mom. Okay. He did a movie that uh, music for a movie that we talk about a lot that we haven't done yet on the show, Exorcist 3. Okay. But the movie that he did, which is a fantastic score, uh, and a movie that we did do on this podcast, is he did the music for The Warriors. Yes, I knew he was in here somewhere, that synth score. Um, now, with that ends, the thing with the ending is you, you talked about earlier where they did the, um, they had the reshoot, they did the reshoots to make the tool shed scene. Yeah. Now, basically, what I hear about what happens with this ending is Decker's a young director, not really... Uh, too experienced with the studio and, and doing preview screenings. So he has a lot of faith that the audience is going to be forgiving, understanding that it's that this is a preview screening and the movie's not finished. And he shows that ending to an audience with like without the effects and the matting and everything completed for the cemetery stuff. Yeah. And like people just didn't get it. Yeah. And so the studio, from what I understand, kind of really panicked and were and they're like one, the movie's kind of done already, and now there's like this coda that's taking too long. It's like two parts. You have the Atkins character, then you have the ship, and it's weird. You know, the ship comes back, and they're just like, we just don't think even with the when everything's complete that people are going to get this. So at that time, because of Carrie, uh, you know, almost ten years before that or something like that, there's the the that big like shock ending yeah is is her coming of, out of the grave yeah Bummer. it's like it's become was, by that point was like a lot of movies had these kind of like scare endings yeah and so like let's you know chasing coming out of the water yeah, yeah. You know? so it's like you know shoot one and decker comes up with this idea with the dog yeah um so that's why it's tacked out it ends up theatrical it release. ends up becoming the theatrical release version is because that that ending the original ending with the spaceship and everything just like like i said he showed it to an audience before it was done and it just had a really poor but it's response. hilarious some years later not with maybe less than five years later when it's on television that ending isn't lost. I mean, you end up having that be tacked on the television. Yeah, exactly. So, that, you know, they f to fill time. Uh, 
And then the movie comes out, and sadly, like we said, he's in the middle of Monster Squad, and the movie kind of tanks. It, it comes and goes. No one, I don't think people get it. Maybe it's not marketed right. Who knows what happens? It's and this is the first nail in you Decker's know, there's coffin. There's a couple of things. You know, they talk about that or the original poster is just like a zombie hand coming, breaking through the window and opening the door. Now, right around that time, just before that, Decker wrote the story for House, which, the, kind of the which was like a dead a zombie hand ringing the doorbell. You know, there's thoughts that like people just thought they had already watched this movie at the time already. Um, who knows? I mean, I, I can I can see this movie not. I can understand why this movie didn't really find its audience till later. I mean, it's a it's a weird. It's a movie. sophisticated movie. It's sophisticated, but it's a little kitschy, like you said. You know, like you said with like. Return of the Living Dead, like you didn't quite get that it was funny the first time you watched it. I could see people like not really getting the tongue in cheekness of this, or not really being familiar with the kinds of things that it's being nostalgic. The references, for. yeah, and they just mistake it for being just hokey and um, and just uh, B movie, yeah, you know, real just shitty uh, low budget. So unfortunately, it doesn't do well. Unfortunately, Monster Squad I think does a little better, but also doesn't live up to expectation financially. Uh, and then, unfortunately, like the final nail in Fred Decker's directing career for feature films was he did Robocop three, which you know he's Completely. like the he's like the prime example of like the you know dog eat dog you know aspect of the movie business. Yeah, you know they say you get like you know you get two chances. <laughs> you, you know for every two flops, you need to have a hit, yeah. and he just had three movies that. Uh, flopped at the time. Yeah, he now, had two flops, and then I guess he had he had some staying power with writing the uh, the Tales from the Crypts, directing one episode, and we said he did the story for Ricochet, and also honorable mentioned he did the spoof that people may remember. He came up with the story for If Looks Could Kill, the Richard Grieco movie. Yeah, so he came and up with that. And now maybe that gave him the gravitas to do. Uh, Robocop 3 which completely tanked and then yeah, that kind of killed him for, for 10 years at yeah. least he then worked on Enterprise the TV show he wrote a lot for Enterprise and uh, he's one and of was the a consulting he, producer he's one of the writers on Shane Black's new Predator movie yes yeah, yeah this comes full circle out, yeah uh, which will be pretty sweet so um, that kind of ends this and then so uh, Sleepover Stars Buckets of Pizza I'd just have to give this one five I mean yeah. it is so sleepover you know like it's one of those movies i said this about another movie there's there's some movies that are just so sleepover movies <laughs> sleepover classic i mean like you can't get this has boobs it's got super 80s it's super nostalgic in itself we're super nostalgic for that time period it just kind of like this is like in a, in some ways it all it hits on all the right yeah, all the right way, syllables in some ways right. it's just like the perfect sleepover yeah i would agree with you this is five i mean i was like happy watching this i was like this is it's got so many good i mean the only criticism i would have Atkins is great <laughs> in it it's just a, i want to see more of his character i want to see all i want to see like a cut a split off of just crime novels with him and his his 12-gauge shotgun, his rain jacket, and his Studebaker going around fighting L.A. crime in L.A. Yeah. You know, all kinds of like, you know, Skid Row and all that kind of 80s shit, you know, um, dealing with drug dealers and all like hookers and all that. Um, and it's just the only thing that I found trying was just the, a lot of, you know, every other name was a, you know, was a reference to a director. But 
That's yeah. You know, I mean, it's cares. a little cheesy, but now, it, but, but it's still everything else is great. So I would agree. I would give you give five buckets of pizza. I go five sleepover stars. I think it's just <laughs> it's it's working, and it's sad that it took this long for people. Yeah, to discover I mean, it. like the, this is certainly not my favorite movie out of the movies we've done. Yeah. And I wouldn't even, you know. But it's fun to watch it. But it is fun as hell. And that's what, like, having a Saturday Night Movie Sleepover yeah. is all about. You it's put this like, in every couple of times. Yeah. <laughs> you pop in them. You pop Especially in. Especially when you forget. Creeps. If you haven't seen this enough, so you wait every, say, I don't know, five years or yeah, a couple I years. Seen so, I yeah. We might have watched it. Yeah. So if you if you end years up ago waiting together. to, like, you know, maybe you pop it in in a Halloween in a couple of years, it's hilarious. You forget these lines. Like, yeah. it's Miller time or, you know. Uh, like I said, I forgot me. that Dick Miller was in it. Yeah. I, you know, you forget little things. Then when you watch it, you're like, oh, yeah. yeah you know, it's, it's like seeing old friends, kind of. Yeah. You know, and then it's just, and it's hilarious the book ending with all this, the porn actor and uh, <laughs> payment. So, yeah. So that there you go. Great movie. Check it out if you haven't seen it. We hope you've seen it. Um, oh, because it spoiled the crap. Yeah. Out we of spoiled. Well, the yeah. ungodding crap out of it for now. You, so. We're almost done our Oktoberfest. We got one more left. And uh, do do people know the the um, our tradition for the uh, so far our tradition? I mean, we'll eventually probably run out of it depending on how long that we decide to keep going on with the show. Hopefully, we'll be doing this show for. We just centuries. Did, we just had our second anniversary. We'll have fifty more of those babies. Yeah. <laughs> But we've came up with a tradition early on, first first season, first year, yeah, where we you know we do horror movies in October. Last year we did we decided to do a horror movie every single week instead of every other week, which we're following up this year with. We carry that tradition onto this year. But the the episode before Halloween, so the last episode of October, yeah, is not just a horror movie, but it's a Halloween themed horror movie. Yeah, so like the, the holiday itself. So, uh, which I think the first year we did it two years ago, that, that podcast was dropped on. But I think that podcast came out on Halloween. Yeah, so that was the idea. Like, oh, it's since it's coming out on Halloween, why don't we have it be a Halloween themed movie? Yeah. So that's why we did Halloween three because Halloween that's 3 like takes the most Halloween of all the Halloween yeah. movies. <laughs> and last year we did what Halloween two? We decided to do Halloween two. Yeah. This year, the only hint we're going to tell you, it's not going to be a Halloween movie. Yeah, I mean, I it's mean, not, not going to be a John Car- Carpenter it, Halloween yeah, movie. Yeah, it's not going to be from the, Hall- the Michael Myers. Yeah, we're not going John reverse. It's not, we did three two years ago. We did two last year. Yeah, we're not going to yeah. do one this year. We're but gonna, it is a Halloween movie. We're going to shy away from the Halloween film series. Yeah. But it's going to be a Halloween-themed horror movie outside yeah. of that series. And we can, five will give you ten that you will not guess what it is. <laughs> If you can guess what it is, we will come over to your house and we will make you dinner and we'll watch a movie of your choice with you. Hopefully you're in the tri-state area because it's going to be hard for us to get there. We don't know when we're going to be able to fulfill that. Yeah, but uh, we found one already that's going to be, it's really in the weeds and we think it's going to be great. But I think people, I think the people that know it will be psyched that yeah. we're doing it and we'll dig because it, it also carries on with the tradition we've been doing here yeah, which yeah. we started earlier this year i think we kicked off with you know uh you know so we've been and we've been talking a lot about that kind no of kind i mean we did it first year too didn't we mm. very interesting in a different way but yeah still so anyway. um please check us out on facebook Check us out on that uh, on our own website because we um we like to have extras and yeah, exclusives like on our have, site uh, picture if i can get a picture of this button you'll be able to see the button on there no you know you never you never told i never told my tom atkins story yeah we'll who knew to, we'll have to save that for another tom are atkins you gonna, movie okay 
We don't have time for it now. Yeah, well, but anyway, so I had a t- I did a hurricane. I I sold my book, little plug for my book, scored to death. Yeah, conversations with some of horror's greatest composers. I went to Monster Mania and check Cherry out Hill. the book. He has a Facebook page. Facebook page. It's on Amazon. There's also a Twitter page. Um, I've been doing. I'm going to be doing more conventions, but I did a horror convention where I sold the book. Um, I did a signing, stuff like that. So you can get that kind of information. I'll let you know if you follow me on those things. That's where I'll be distributing that information. But at Monster Mania, Tom Atkins was there. Who would have known? So I have a nice picture of myself with Tom Atkins. Do you want to include that in this post? And we'll we'll put that picture in the post. And uh, I have a signed 8x10 that Tom Atkins signed to me. And maybe we'll get a scan of that because it is from... Night of the Creeps? Night of the Creeps. Thrill me. <laughs> he signs, I think he signed it. Thrill me. It's freaking awesome. Not even his name, just thrill and me. And then the rest of that Tom Atkins story, we'll have to wait. Hold until, over till next time we do a Tom Atkins Until movie. we do uh, The Fog or Creep Show or, or Lethal Weapon. Or Escape from New York. Or Escape from New York. Or, or um, any number of uh, yeah, other Tom, Tom Atkins, Atkins vehicles. Um, and uh, yeah, it was almost like a couple weeks ago we talked about, um, uh, what's his name? Gilbert Godfrey. And I was toying with the idea, should I include Gilbert Godfrey enough at, because we just brought him up, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I think this is much better of a because we're talk- well, doing yes. a movie that he's in. We've talked so much yeah, about him. Yeah, then why not put him in? As a, yeah, and the picture is it's great. Yeah, is so, is him from yeah, this movie in, in, in all his heavenly glory. <laughs> so please check us out. We'll see you not in two weeks, but in one week. But then that's the last of our four weekers. And then we'll be back to every other week. Yeah, every other week. So because we do have stuff that we've got well, going we do on. We have the holidays coming. Yeah, yeah, because we're in crunch time now. We're you know we're in our our, our day job. We've got a lot going on, so we're just plugging these out. So um, we'll see you next week, and we hope you're excited as much as we are. So um, keep on rocking. Later.